Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me today, the ridiculous self indulgence to my 100th episode, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing quite well. Quite well. I have nothing else to add to that. Good talk. <laughs> Good talk. 100 I, episodes. He's out of words, gang. We're you know, you, I don't know what you expected me to fall. I usually just say hello, uh, hello, hello, or something, and then I and then we move on. I don't know why there was an awkward pause. I don't either, but it's a special day. Today's episode <laughs> 100. So as always, let's go ahead and get this started with an extra special extra zero at the end. Thank you to all of our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and help this magical show keep a rolling. Time to time to start shooting for two. Time to, time to start the, the episode 200 countdown. No, no, no. Episode 150. We'll do another AMA at episode 150. I like it. I like it. That's In 2022. Literally ish. two years away. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, possibly 2023-ish. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, 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 how work and breaks take treat us. Yes. And the Portland weather. Yes. Well, Jonathan, happy National Pretend to be a Time Traveler Day. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> we've already had this conversation yes so december 8th encourages us to step from our tardis or flip open our omni while watch while wearing clothes from the past at the same time we should act appropriately confused by certain technology uh so they suggest you watch your time travel television like doctor who or quantum leap or outlander so there you go wife or read some books like a wrinkle in time or the time traveler's wife i read the time traveler's wife that's a good book uh, very sad. Um, or watch your favorite time travel movies like Groundhog's Day or the excellent Back to the Future and the most excellent Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, and then, yeah, and then also pretend to be a time traveler. Get confused by by normal technology. Sniff somebody's uh, iPod earphone thingies. Just, uh, just, just act wacky and pretend to be a time traveler. Hashtag pretend to be a time traveler day. Uh, that is maybe the weirdest one yet, I think. <laughs> I'm having trouble wrapping my head around it. That's how weird it is. It's very specific, too. Oddly specific, I'd say. Does it say how it got started at the bottom of my little info? Let's see. Just says it started in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, Robert, last episode I screwed up. Well, we both screwed up because I said it and you agreed with me. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Well, no, I had just talked about Dale like a sentence before, and so I credited a conversation you had with Ray about um, the game The Reckoners versus Marvel United to Dale, not Ray. So it's supposed to be Ray. It was not Dale. It was just uh, in the podcast. We were just talking about Dale, and then I switched gears, and I just kept saying Dale. Well, the, the funny thing is the reason I went along with you is because Dale went all in on Reckoners as well. Yeah, yeah. So it, it fit. You know, like all the facts fit. <laughs> still and I, I apologize to ray on uh on, on the discord it was funny he was sharing a story and i pulled totally pulled the kanye it's like all right ray i'm gonna let you finish but i just want to say something <laughs> beyonce had the best mu- music video of the year 
also, I screwed up on the show, and it was you. It was you, Ray. It was you. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, it's time to get to our first segment. And today's first segment, of course, is our off-the-shelf segment. This is the segment, of course, where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, and most importantly, into our hearts. So Ray has been a busy beaver. Uh, I don't want to read this whole thing. He he was talking about a character in the Stormlight Archive, which he is currently listening to, not reading. And the current book is 57 hours. Wow! 57. But he talked a lot about a character who is in the book who is basically dealing with like anxiety and depression and PTSD. And they're like the hero of the story. Like, you know, he's saying like they're supposed to be the main protagonist hero, but their mental issues keep getting in the way. And as he was reading it, uh, like, like it reminded me of some of the conversations I've had with my wife with, for the reasons that I'm on antidepressants. So yeah, it was an interesting conversation. Ray, imagine being married to that and then apologize or, or give Gina a high five at some point. Cause that's all I got to say about that. But yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting just reading his musings on it. Um, also, Ray has uh, been playing Rime of the Frostmaiden for D&D. They started a new campaign, which is fun. I have heard interesting things about that game. Uh, he's been playing Gloomhaven on Tabletop Simulator. And most interestingly, he is currently recording uh, the new Martian War book, Gathering Storm, which apparently has a bunch of Australians in it. So he's ha- been having to do his Australian accents. And me being the supportive and excellent host that I am, I sent him my favorite Australian video, Australians Do... Star Wars, which is probably the best thing ever. Oh, I might have to check that out. I don't think I've seen that. You don't? Oh, I sent it to you. Oh, you, okay. I don't, I don't know that you did. All right, all right, all right. Tell you what, we're going to add that to the AMA because as we are breaking, I'm going to send you that video and I want you to watch it during the break. Oh, and I've been trying to work the phrase fair dinkum into my vocabulary. You ever watch Aussie Man Reviews? No, I have not. Oh my God, it's the best YouTube series ever. It's this Australian guy and... He basically uses all of the Australian lingo and reviews other people's videos on the internet. (laughs) And it's just, it's hysterical, it's irreverent, and it's really everything the world needs today. So if you're playing at home, if you use the phrase truth, you know, like if somebody says something and you respond with truth, uh, if you want to be Australian, you can respond with fair dinkum instead. It is the same thing. What is the dinkum? I don't know what the dinkum is. I, I don't know either. I, I am just I have read how to use fair dinkum in a sentence and it is used to emphasize or seek confirmation of the genuineness or truth of something or used to infinite emphasize that behavior is uh, complies with accepted standards. So, yes. And I'll, I have also read you can just if yeah, you can just say something's fair dinkum, which means something's the truth. Fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. So where do you want to start today, Jonathan? Uh, do you want to start with books, reading? That's what I've been doing mostly recently. Okay. As promised, I got my copy of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I've seen that at the store a couple times now, and I've had a hard time not just impulse buying it. It's both really good and kind of ho-hum. It's a it's an interesting mix. Uh, for a player of D&D, it's quite good. Um, the subclasses in it are really, really good. They play around with using class abilities as resources like there's a celestial druid that you can burn your wild shape to do other things which is a good idea and my favorite one is they put in a healing monk archetype where uh basically uh you can first you can just 
uh, spend a point and heal somebody for your monk die weapon damage, you know? So, like, if it's a D6, then you touch him and heal him for a D6 plus your some stat. I don't remember the stat. But uh, I, it's slightly higher level ability is you can work in a heal to your Fury of Blows. And so if you have a battle buddy that you're standing next to, you can do Fury of Blows, Fury of Blows. And then for your last Fury of Blows, you can touch your buddy and heal them for damage. And I, I like the idea. I've, I've always liked the idea of combat healers. And then at, at, at way higher levels, they can just do all of their Fury of Blows as healing. So I, I, I just imagine this monk dancing around the battle, just touching all his buddies and healing them all over the place. <laughs> and you have been healed. And you have been healed. And then their top tier ability is they can just straight res people from the dead. So yeah, they're, it's a healing class and I like it. I, I like will it bring you back. Wizards said that this book is going to, quote, start their conversation on uh, the, the racial colonialism stuff that is baked into D&D. And uh, it was a little McWeek sauce. Uh, it was basically like, you know, it's like being exceptional of whatever your race. And instead of just using the stat bumps in the book, just put them wherever you want. Yeah. And and uh, and then they had like a template for making up your own race. And it was just kind of like, it's not really a good conversation. They came out later and were talking about like what their plan was. And, you know, they say, oh, it's going to take a couple of years, but they're going to take like alignment off of stat blocks for monsters because you know instead of saying like all goblins are baby eating evil doers they're just going to leave it blank because you know that's kind of bad and uh, and they're going to move alignment to more of a role-playing tool for individuals and not something to represent an entire species which is good but i realized as i was reading this when they say oh this will take a few years to implement what they're really talking about is dnd 5.5 or 6th edition that's that's what they're meaning they're going to fix it later and i yeah that's not okay yeah, just lean into it. You know, it's again. That's the the number one piece of information that I've taken away from this past year is that if you're feeling uncomfortable about something, lean into that. Yeah, well, and they could just stop doing it. Like if they release a monster book, just take the alignment thing out. Who cares? You know. So we'll see. We'll see if they actually do that or or what. But yeah, just them saying it'll take a couple of years to implement. Really, to me, sounded like they're what they're talking about is sixth edition. So yeah, it's a little bit of weak sauce. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, the classes are good. Uh, some of the optional rules are good. The sidekick rules from the Essentials books and some of the other stuff is, is okay. They have a lot of fun magic items with uh, even and, and cursed items too. And they're, they're just goofy and fun, including a giant mech. Because why not have a giant magical mech? Who cares? I mean, I'm down. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Well, for me, I, fan- I managed to finish uh, Sybil of Burn, which is the – is that the fourth or the fifth book in Expanse? I think you said fourth last time. I'm going to go with that. Oh, no. I finished Nemesis Games. Okay. I did finish book five. I just didn't have the right title. Ah. So, yes, I finished Nemesis Games, which is book five in the Expanse series. And, uh, yeah, I think actually, oddly enough, I think it might be one of my favorites. It started to bring the cast of characters together again, whereas usually they kind of operate separately. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it's outside of the main narrative involving, you know, the, the greater Expanse series aim it's it's kind of like a side story that features the entirety of the main cast so i i really liked it i really really liked it uh so once i finished that i started reading lovecraft country the 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 book that the show is based off of Mm -hmm. yeah there's been a couple of scenes in that book that are really tough to get through and not because it's not exquisitely written but because it's just there's some really really dark pieces of american history that people tend to gloss over Mm-hmm. And this does not gloss over it at all. This gives you the perspective of 
this gives you the other perspective of those pieces of history. And it can be tough to read because these are, you know, such good characters that they're, they're people with feelings and like the thought that anybody would do this to another person is just disgusting. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not the easiest read in the world, but not because it's not very well written. It's, it's excellently written. It's just tough because people suck. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I, I, I will throw sometimes into that. Sometimes people suck. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'll say this also, the TV show makes some very good decisions in its translation of the book to TV format. Uh, to make it work better as a TV show. I'm also impressed with just how closely it follows so much of the novel. I can't wait to watch that show. I, I'm thinking I about think getting... I think you're going to love it. I, I really, truly do. Yeah, I'm thinking about springing for uh, HBO Max to watch Wonder Woman at the end of next month. So what should we move on to next? Uh, how about we hit some uh, movies and TV? Okay. I, I, I've hit movies and TV pretty hard. Should we? Should, let's go back and forth. You start. I serve to you, sir. Okay. Uh, you and I both been watching Discovery. Yes. The last episode was kind of whatever. What? Oh my God. Okay. So, so oddly I, I've been watching a little bit of TNG again and I randomly got to unification one and two, right? The week this episode aired. So I got to watch, like I, I watched unification one, unification two and unification three all in one go. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I really dug it. It actually was an interesting coda to the unification one and two. I really liked when they brought Leonard Nimoy Spock into it. I thought that was very well done. That 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 part I enjoyed. The part that makes no damn sense to me is making an ensign the first officer, even in an acting state. Like this is just silly. That's just absolutely silly and and nonsense. Yeah, I I I've I've heard people on the internet go back and forth on that. Uh, I'm of the opinion that the show in general has been doing a thing to try to get Tilly to she wants to be on the command track, even though she's not terribly well suited for it. But then occasionally she shows moments where she is very well suited for it. Like in the last episode where she totally ratted Michael out because it was going to look bad for the crew and her rationale for it was very, very smart and put together. Yeah. So I, I get the idea that, Yes, making an ensign the first officer is dumb. I would agree with that. But yeah, it's I, just it's 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 not a matter of making the character. It's a matter of that character's rank not putting them anywhere near the 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 shortlist for for that position. Yeah, I think they should have promoted her to lieutenant at the very. Yeah, least. that would have made more sense, or put her in charge of the science team or something. This is kind of like an arc the character's been building to. It's just they kind of forgot her rank for a while. I, I, I think it should have come with like a, a Lieutenant JG promotion or something. But I, I will agree with that. But for the story, for the character, it's a good piece. If you think about it, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. And the, the other aspect that I didn't – so spoiler alert if you haven't watched the most recent Discovery. We should have said this earlier. Yes. But, you know, the the the, the folks from – Vulcan slash Romulan, uh, they convene. It's Navarre now, sir. Yeah, Navarre. Okay. So they convene to do the, the little board, the science board thing. And like within 30 seconds, it feels like they're all back to their old arguments from a couple hundred years ago. And it just, it felt forced and it didn't feel like a natural progression. And the pity of the whole thing is I really like the stuff with how they reintroduced, um, Michael's mom 
and the conversations that she has uh, in those scenes, mostly because I'm just a really big fan of Gabrielle Burnham uh, or not Gabrielle Burnham. Uh, what's the, the name of the actress? Sonia, Sonia Son, Son. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. S-O-H-N. But I've been a big fan of her. She's been in several TV shows that I've really liked, and she's just an amazing actress. So I really liked the way they played her character, and I really liked the things that she had to say, and I thought it was good character development for for Michael. The problem was that it was all framed by what felt like a very, very forced, almost like racial tension in within the, the, the different aspects of the, the you know, Navarre culture. And it didn't, it didn't feel, it didn't feel natural or organic. It felt forced like fake drama. And it, it is took, really took me out of the episode. Well, I, I will agree to disagree with you on that. I, I like that. The, the thing I had a problem with, and I get why they did it. If Discovery had a longer season, they probably would have waited a little bit. But uh, I didn't like that Michael got the thing she wanted um, right away and easily. Well, not easily, but right away. Um, had the show had like a 20 episode season, it pro- they probably would have strung that out a little bit where she sent them some data back and then they gave her this stuff because she was sort of proving her point that she was trustworthy. And that would have made a lot more sense and probably fixed my, a lot of the issues I had with it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I it's just uh, the, the season's so short, they just don't have the amount of time to put filler episodes in to, to make the time frame work, which is, I don't know, it's a problem with uh, TV these days where we have short seasons, like things have to lead to A to B to Z to D, you know, really, really fast. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Because, you know, instead of having all these like 19 different plot arcs simultaneously and and being forced to move them all forward at, at bullet train pace, do what what a lot of British folks do with TV, right? where it's like they look at the story and then they, they choose the number of episodes that fits that story. Like, look at the, the TV show Luther with Idris Elba. There's one se- a season. Hold on, let me get the seasons. Okay, there's one season that's got, got six episodes, two seasons, or three seasons, excuse me, that have four episodes, and one season that has two episodes, because that's what fit the character. And that's, or the story, excuse me. That was, yeah, but you, you, you want American television to follow a completely different paradigm. But they're doing it somewhat with Mandalorian because, like, every episode of Mandalorian has wildly different lengths, and they choose the length that fits the, the story they're trying to tell in that episode. Well, I, I, I'm talking, well, whatever. We, we can talk about Mandalorian later. But, um. Oh, I'll talk about Mandalorian because, my God, that show's so good this season. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wish I wish Discovery had a little bit more room to breathe. I hope they stay in the future longer. I mean, my main my main problem with everything. I mean, you're kind of right. They don't they don't have time to go into everything because you're sort of like touching base with all these. You know, they touch base with Trill. They t- and now they've touched base with Vulcan slash Romulan, now known as Navarre. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you said that. I'm, I'm sorry to step in here, but I'm glad that you said that because. I'm coming to realize that that is the big issue that I have with the show. And and I think this is why I feel like it's edited too quickly and, and just there is no room to breathe. There's zero room for the show to breathe. And that's because they're trying to bite off a 22 episode seasons story arcs because that's what they think makes up Star Trek. And they're not exploring any of the stories enough to, to justify how much they've bitten off. And so instead of getting one or two really 
distinct plot lines that have three or four episodes to mature and to really genuinely pay off, we get this rapid fire, everybody's story arc moves forward, you know, two light years every episode because we know that we only have 10 to do it in. I, I, I think you're giving old Star Trek way too much credit, but like, like going, ha- having gone back and watched most of it recently, like, uh, yeah, especially like the Dominion arc and all that, like a lot of that was just flying by the seat of their pants. It's really obvious, but anyway, but I'm also comparing it in my head to, to more modern TV shows that do, do just that. They, they tell a smaller story even if it's in a larger universe, because it serves the purpose of, of, you know, making that particular story good. And I think that's what seasons three and four of the expanse do the best. I I think what the main problem with discovery is, is it was the first Star Trek TV show and they're kind of trying to like redefine Star Trek because Picard was very, it it was dark and it was a drama, but it was also kind of like, you know, a throwback. It to chose TNG. a small story and it told a really good bit version of it. Right, right. But that was what they were trying to do. But with Discovery, Discovery is still trying to like find its niche. But the second half of episode or the second half of season two did. And and it found it found a flow that worked for that story. And I, I never felt rushed. And this season, it's like I always feel rushed. Yeah. Well, like I said, I I think it's a good idea they moved him to the future. I hope they stay there and give it room to breathe. I I I don't know. I'm I'm almost wondering if we're going to have like a big season finale twist again cuz they've been doing that every season, which has kind of sucked. I, I I hope they just keep the ship there and just move on and do another season. But like I said, I'll 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 wait to judge until I, I, I see everything. So I don't think I said that out loud. So I will wait to <laughs> I will wait to see how it all plays out. So far this season, I, I will agree, it's not quite as good as last season, but it's certainly better than the first season. And they're at least giving the main cast more character arcs, like the, the side characters, which I'm appreciating. Because, you know, I mean, say what you will about the last season, it was definitely the Pike, Spock, Michael show with a side of Tilly and uh, uh, the guys from Rent. I can't remember their names. I'm right not hearing a downside. Right, but like there were a lot of characters on the bridge that I wish we got to know more, know a little bit better, and they're ta- they're giving them a little bit more time. And and Saru, like Saru, d- didn't really get a lot of time to breathe in the last season. And I'm, the, I'm, the problem is that they're half-assing it, like that. That, and I guess that's my big issue. Like you're right, they are giving them more time, but not enough to properly explore their arcs. And at the same time, they're also shortchanging the characters that we already. V- are, we are already vested in. And so it's like, I, I know it seems like a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario, but, you know, it just feels like it's just leaving everybody high and dry. Well, like I, it, if it pays off over an, another couple of seasons, I'll, I'll make my judgment then. Yeah, I, I'm, not you're, I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm, I'm saying like, I, it seems like that's something to complain about when you look back at the entire season or, and especially if they, they, another cliffhanger happens or they do something wildly different. Like if this is the new course going forward that they'll spend a little bit more time with some of the side characters, I'll I'll just I'll I'll be happy about that. So anyway, we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Okay, so we well so we both watched Discovery. So should we get over the other thing we both watched, which is the Mandalorian? Uh heck yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say this out loud. I am getting a little annoyed at the show because it's falling into a formula and it's getting a little ridiculous where it's the Mandalorian goes somewhere and he wants help from somebody or he needs something. And they're like, I'll totally help you. But first we got to do this mission. And it's, it's like, that's been like the plot of like the last several episodes. Like, it's not that he's like doing any, given, I haven't seen the most recent episode. I got caught up through 
the what was the last episode the lava the lava base again part two yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the one i'm caught up to we haven't watched the newest one yet oh then we yeah no just i can't say anything okay well then apparently i don't know what i'm talking about i'll I'll check back with you after i watch that no i'm not i'm not saying that your 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 observation isn't correct because it is I, i mean honestly mandalorian feels like it was written by a star wars rpg group like it's like side mission side mission core mission side mission side mission core mission yeah i don't know i'm just so okay with it i'm just because that that show has just proven to be exceptional for me personally i'm just having so much fun with it i feel i feel like a little kid walking out of the theater in 1984 after watching return of the jedi because that that's where i am in when when i watch that show it just takes me back there because it's that kind of Star Wars. It's it's the Star Wars I grew up with, not not the crap that I've been fed the last few years. And the other thing that I'm I'm kind of not liking about the show is I don't really like the Mandalorian. I don't hate him, but I'm not terribly invested in him. But I like his side characters more. And so, like a lot of how I feel about an episode has a lot more to do with characters who aren't the main character, and that's or or the named character of the series, which I think is a problem. Like I, I really liked the frog lady in that episode. Like that that episode was hilarious, but it was hilarious because of the frog lady. And then she's gone. And I like the episode on Lava Planet because we got to touch base with Lava Planet people again. And I like those characters. But again, that episode was interesting because of them, not because of the main character. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't dig that. Like I'm, I'm finding the main protagonist just kind of eh. And yeah, that's my problem with that show. And I, I've heard people, I've heard people say. Because I walked into a thing where they were talking about my opinions on this show and how it's a Western or something. Hi, Brandon. But, like, it, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, I, it's fine that it's a space Western. I get that it's a space Western. But the problem is, like, I, I still don't like the protagonist. And it's not that I hate him. It's not that I'm annoyed by him. It's just, like, there's nothing there. Like, there's not much there to, for me to, like, hang a hat on and go, like, oh, this guy's entertaining and I want to keep watching him. Cause he's just I sense a big impact lo- coming to him this season because of what's going on right now. Because, like, they're teasing little bits of, A, the way he's changed since season one, and B, little pieces of his personality and how he's become attached to the child. And they're teasing a little bit out at a time, and I feel like it's going to pay off later in the season. And I could be wrong. Maybe we're talking about this after episode 10 and we're, I was totally wrong and I'll be the first to say, you know, then that your, your viewpoint's right. But I do, I do see a construction of more personality for him. I think he's starting to realize that the world's a lot bigger than, than he realizes. Well, we'll see how it goes. Not saying it's a bad show. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm still enjoying it. Like I said, I, I'm just realizing I'm enjoying the side characters a lot more than I'm enjoying him. Like I love the frog lady. The Frog Lady was amazing. I, I really liked that episode. <laughs> she was fantastic. She was so good. I actually just rewatched that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Lava Planet was good. And was, I know we had to watch three episodes. So, oh, 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 yeah. The one with the, 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 the new Mandalorians and the character apparently from Rebels that was played by Starbuck. Um, but she plays it in the, the... In the live action version, not the... Yeah. No, she plays it in the cartoon too. Oh, I did not know that. Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I dug all those episodes. I, I actually dig that there's, uh, I actually went to the Wikipedia and read about this, about, uh, you know, the Mandalorians and that basically our, our namesake Mandalorian belongs to a crazy cult, <laughs> like a real crazy cult. So yeah, it was, it was interesting, you know, but then again, 
and this is this is a failure of the show. I had to go to a, a, a third party resource to read about the lore of all this because they didn't explain it well enough in in the show, which I think is a problem. They they hinted at it, but they didn't they didn't give me enough to you know to to let me know what was actually going on. So if that pays off later, so be it. But yeah, I, if if it doesn't, that's that's a problem. They need to like explain their storylines better too. Still, I like Starbuck as a as a badass. That was fun to watch. Yeah, well, she was great in the cartoon too. And if, it, like, if you've watched, I have the, not. But but if you have, like, the payoffs in that are are a thousand times better. Yeah, well, I think it's cute that they're they're tying it in so much into storylines that happened in the Clone Wars and the Rebels cartoon. Like, I, I've read about them, and it's making me want to go back and watch those shows. I'll say this: the the first season of Clone Wars is a little rough. It was trying to figure out what it wanted to be. And once it figured out what it wanted to be, it got really amazing. You always got to give a, a show a season or two to sort of find its footing. And also look, uh, look up. I find it better to, to watch them in chronological order because at first it thought it was just a normal cartoon. And so it just jumps around all over the place. Well, if I do that, I'll look that up. Okay, sir. Okay. So what's something you've watched? You go first. I did actually, and I forgot to talk about it on the last episode. Before ninety nine, I ta- I watched uh, Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. That movie's a whole lot more problematic when you go back and watch it a second time. <laughs> no, wait a minute, oh, Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan, would you say it failed to stick the landing? I don't even think it attempted a landing. The, thank you. I will go revise our point total from last year. Well, I mean, it's still subjective. It does end that storyline. Whether it does it with elegance or not, I don't know that it does. I it does not, sir. It does not. Like JJ, JJ wrote a treatment for what he thought the next two movies should be, and Rain Johnson just said, kind of said no. (laughs) And then JJ came back and said, like, yes, and it 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 showed. Okay, well, we haven't had a really clear thing. The reason that movie fails and the reason it's really bad is because it is so incredibly cl- clear from the get-go that that trilogy was not a trilogy. They were just flying by the seat of their pants. Like yeah. if they had been setting up that Ray was the granddaughter of the emperor or whatever from the first thing, like, a, you know, from the beginning, like they should have dropped a freaking hint about that in the first freaking movie. Like there should have been I don't something. Think realize that that's what they wanted to do yet no it's obvious they didn't they know yeah and it's obvious they didn't know who the main villain of the entire story was going to be you know like like the emperor still being alive they should have hinted at that and they didn't like when you're constructing a story that's supposed to be a trilogy that spans three movies you're it's supposed to have a beginning a middle and an end and they didn't do that they they weren't they didn't feel secure enough about what they were trying to make to make a beginning a middle and an end you know, and it's it's so glaringly apparent watching that movie where just things come out of left field. And it's really sad how there's so much wasted potential in that trilogy. And, and it bugs me because like Ray, Ray was really in, had a really interesting arc for the first two movies and it, it fell apart. Ben had a fascinating arc. Like I would have loved to have seen a movie about a villain actually coming into his own and starting as like a weak sauce, stupid villain who like, you know, has temper tantrums like a little baby. And then by the end you know, like grows into this like badass, scary villain. Like the villain has an arc too, but no, they just went back to the the same well and did the uh, oh, he's really Darth Vader and he's gonna blah. like. Ugh. 
Like that's the thing. Like that whole that whole series of movies was going to make or break based off of the last one. If it was, if the last one stuck the landing and it just failed. Like nothing paid off. Nothing from the beginning did anything. Like Finn, Finn and um Isaac, what's his what's his character's name? Uh uh Poe. Poe. Finn and Poe, like they didn't know what the hell to do with them after the first movie. No, you know? no, no. That's 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 obvious. And and yeah, it's just it's just so it's so disappointing because the first movie, if if they had followed through with a couple of things they sort of set up in the first movie, you know, it maybe it would have been interesting. But like, you know, where it ended and where it began were were just two way different things, and and it was just so it was just so bad. Like I I it's just so disappointing. Like that whole trilogy. I, I'll I'll go out and say it. That trilogy is worse than the prequel trilogy. I will, I will, I will die on that mountain. Actually, because say what you will about the prequel trilogy, it, knew it, 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 it gets to be. better. It, it, the, the prequel trilogy gets better in quality with each movie, and when you watch them all three in order, it makes a lot more sense. Yes, it knew what it, it wanted to be. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And yes, it had some poor choices Serious and beats. Issues. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even gonna. But as a narrative the prequel trilogy has a much better structured story and it's a much better story than the sequel trilogy. Cause the sequel trilogy was just shotgunning plot points all over the place. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. And honestly, like we're not for movies like solo and rogue one. And then the, the Mando TV show, I, I would be, I would be in a dark place. Star Wars wise, but yeah, um, you, you should be a dark place with solo. Solo was also not that great of a movie. You shut that dirty pie hole of yours. Solo would have been good if they didn't try to cram in every single reference ever. Like it, it, it was just bad. I really, you know, I've watched Solo probably three times this year and I, I just, I enjoy it a little more every time. The Kessel run is like the worst piece of garbage I've seen on Star Wars in a really long time. That part At least they're not hyperspeed skipping. Whatever. It's still dumb thing. Like, why did that need to be there? Why did there need to be a Cthulhu monster in space? Like, what did that have to do with anything? <laughs> that that whole segment was just there because, like, oh, Han Solo said something in the first movie. Huh? See, 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 we're a prequel, and it's like, just tell a damn story. Like, I really like Solo. I like it from start to finish. If it didn't do that, like, like the Kessel Run was dumb. Like, why did they have to do that? Like, it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything. Like, that's the problem with it. Like, they crammed in all this prequel nonsense just to prove that it's a prequel. And it's like, it didn't do anything for the story, you know? Like, just making about beat Chewbacca and his buddy, you know? Like, that part was good, you know? But they didn't have to do the Kessel Run. They didn't have to do everything, they could, you know? And and let it be... And also, I think they rushed him getting the Falcon out of Lando. Lando. Like, that would have been rad to watch, like, as a longer-term thing. Well, I, I do think that they... they moved a little too quick through the story. I wish they had slowed down and explored that across two movies. That felt like acts one and two of a bigger story. Yeah. It was like watching uh X-Men origins, uh, Wolverine where it was obviously a treatment for a trilogy of movies and oh, filmed God, it on one go movie is so rough to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Solo solo's not 
bad. It solo is is fun to watch and it's enjoyable. It's just they it would have been a much better movie if they weren't so worried about cramming all this prequel nonsense in if they had just let it breathe. Speaking of things that need time to breathe, that movie needed a little bit more time to breathe. And not cuz like the Woody Harrelson character and that whole arc, that was interesting. I actually liked that. But like all the pre- even the Londo stuff was kind of pointless. Like it didn't need to be there. You know, it would have been far more interesting if he ran into him and they kind of became buddies or even if he he borrowed his boat for a while, but he didn't win it in that movie. You know, but that was his introduction to the Falcon. And then, you know, because, you know, he wanted a hand of cards, you know, it's like, oh, and they play this game and he doesn't get it. Like they're they're like teasing it, but they didn't they didn't tease things. They just sort of like dumped it on the table. And that that was the part of the movie that I didn't like, which is a shame because like a lot of it was really good. Like Woody Harrelson, that that whole arc was interesting and it was fun, and they just they just kind of wasted it with you know some filler that they didn't need to fill. Anyway, sorry, sorry. I have thoughts on that movie, and I've been holding <laughs> on to them. hadn't hadn't noticed. Yes. Well, we were supposed to have a talk about this like episodes ago, and we just never did because we forgot. Because it's like it happens. The world kind of fell into a poop hole for a while. Still there. Yeah. Uh, I watched a movie called 7500 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. It's on the Amazon, right? Oh, wow. Is that intense? Is that the one where he's a pilot? Yes. Yeah. I think I saw a preview of that. Wow. Is it intense? I mean, just mad respect for Joseph Gordon-Levitt because that's that's one of those, those roles where he doesn't have anybody to play off the vast majority of the movie. He carries it purely on his acting prowess and... He nails the living daylights out of it. There's there's nothing else that I can say about it other than wow. I mean, I have always liked him as an actor, but now I have a an even deeper respect for him. I'll have to watch that. I, I saw preview for it. I kind of only vaguely remember what it's about. It's on Amazon though, right? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah, yeah it's on Amazon original too, so it'll be on Amazon forever. In theory. Alright, alright. Well Jonathan. Jonathan. I went and did it. I watched Phantasm Four Oblivion. Because I was committed. I was committed. You should be committed. No, no. I, it, it's oh, it's a, that bad. No, it's not that bad. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen worse horror movies. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I, you know what? So I read that the director felt that the last movie got a little too comedic, which I will agree with. So he decided to make this one a little more weird and dark. And it definitely was more weird and dark. And... You know, once you kind of accept that the Phantasm films just don't make any sense and you're just sort of going to go along for the ride and it's just going to be this weird sort of trippy movie, it's – it's yeah, yeah. I don't think any of them will beat that first movie. That first movie was really, really good and kind of a mind tease. And this one, they, they, they keep trying too hard. But it, it, it had its moments. I'll be in for Ravager, you know. I mean, come on. I, I watched the first two and then I watched the third one. Like I got to finish out the the, the – Pentology? Pen- is that what a five movie thing is? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Still kind of funny how, you know, the, the, the time – I'm sorry. The time, I, I forgot about in the movie. Uh, in the second one, uh, Mike, the main character, gets committed in a loony bin for seven years. So the movie timeline has actually advanced nine years from when it began in 1979. So somehow – in the last movie, it was both 1988 and 2006 or 2000, 2000. I, I don't, I forget when the, the, the fourth one was made, but yes, somehow it was both those years at the same time. It was like Marvel time. It just slides, just slides along. 
<laughs> and once again, Reggie, the the character with the skullet, because it's you know he's bald on top, but he's got a party in the back. Uh, he, considering it's like he he whatever happened to him in that last movie, man, it aged him. He looked like five six years older, just out of the blue. It's amazing how that happens. Sometimes you have a bad day, bud. <laughs> Also, like the movie completely forgot that they set up in the the second one that he had a wife and a kid who got killed by the tall man because he is like hitting on every and it like that just happened. That just happened. Like it's been like a couple of days since that happened, according to the movie timeline. And yet he is hitting on every woman ever. Every one of them. (laughs) Just just hitting on all of them. It's like, come on, man, your wife and your kid just died. Like, like. I mean, I get trying to kill the tall man and, like, getting your revenge, but, like, just, yeah, anyway. It's a product of them, you know, making movies that take place days apart, years and decades apart, I guess. Yeah, it's problematic at best. <laughs> it, oh, that series. That's a series that you just want to love, but it's – every time you try and love it, it's just like, oh, but let me just remind you of these difficult things that I do. Well, the fifth one – from what I understand, they pretty much realized it was going to be the last one because everybody was just getting so old. So they filmed it as a finale. So we'll see if it sticks the landing better than Rise of Skywalker. I will report back. I will try to get that done for you, for our, our gentle listeners, uh, for episode 101. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, I watched True Seekers. Me and Gina, we got through the first two episodes of that. I Carlos got himself on restrictions, so we haven't had a chance to watch episode two yet. So don't don't don't. Say oh well, yeah, no spoilers. It's um, that is a weird show. I expected it to be. It's super British. It's like yeah. super British. I expected it to be a little bit more hot fuzz, considering who made it, and it's not. It's much more of a, a horror comedy, a little bit leaning more towards the horror. Um, in in um, episode one, the scene with Malcolm McDowell on the elevator. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you close your legs, Dad? <laughs> I died. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, I, I'm intrigued. I'm still watching it. It's, it's good old-fashioned ghost stories. What I really liked about it is uh, every so often I go through and I watch uh, YouTubers who hunt ghosts because it's awful and funny. Uh, I watch a lot of Nuke's Top 5, and sometimes I'll watch the videos that he's referencing in there. And, like, those ghost hunting YouTubers are so... Well, well, that's a whole other story. But I do like that Truth Seekers got that part right. Like, they obviously watch people who do that stuff on YouTube, and they, they pattern the characters off, off of that, which I will I respect. Like, they did their research. That is actually fairly accurate. I'll tell you what, I'll finish myself out. And then, under the recommendation of uh, Brendan First Edition... Uh, I watched the first two episodes of Netflix's We Are the Champions. Is it good? Uh, the first episode I liked a lot better than the second episode. But yes, it is good. The first episode, I, I've heard about this. I actually read a D&D adventure about this premise and I thought it was stupid. And then I actually looked it up and I found out it's real. It is about, there's a, a town, I forget what the town's name is, in England somewhere. And, every, and they're known for their cheese. And so every year... They roll in uh, like a 10-pound wheel of cheese down this really steep hill, and then fools chase after it as fast as they can. I've seen that. I've seen that. It's insanity. Yeah, and and so the episode is about that. And they follow – they mainly follow the lady who is one – she is the all-time reigning champion of winning the cheese run four times. 
uh, for the ladies. The the dude who's won it, he would run three races a year because they have three dude races and one lady race. Um, and he would run all three of the races. And I think when he got 22 wins in a row, he became the winning champion. Um, but they followed mainly the ladies because the dude, uh, his wife tricked him into going on vacation and uh, basically giving up his title <laughs> or, or letting it stand at 22. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. Just, just how into chasing cheese these people got. Everybody's got a thing, bud. Everybody's got a thing. The second episode was about chili eating contests. And I thought when I read chili eating contest, I thought it was going to be like chili, like the thing where in Texas, if you put beans in it, you will be shot. Um, but no, when they say chili, they actually mean the peppers. So they apparently have these contests where you just eat spicy stuff. And, and it's like, it's like, you know, whoever the last person standing basically wins. And so it was about this contest that this guy in South Carolina put up who, bred the hottest uh chili pepper in existence right now which has a capsation total that is about equal to uh uh, uh pepper spray is that like the <laughs> carolina reaper or something it, the carolina reaper yep yeah although he made a better one called pepper x and the carolina reaper is just an ugly pepper it's like warty and weird looking and yeah and it's just all about these sad people who sat there for uh eight rounds i think that's how long it went trying to win the contest and like one of the guys when he bowed out he like literally was saying like i've got a headache and i'm literally seeing like i'm literally hallucinating right now like there's weird (laughs) stuff all around me and i'm like wow (laughs) that's it i'm done finish yourself off uh let's see uh i watched gemini man that that's on yes how was it i watched gemini man okay fair enough should i watch gemini man there are pieces of it that are good. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is good. But the special effects are so bad, and I'm not talking about the de-aging stuff. Like, there's there's several instances where they could have just done a practical effect with a motorcycle, and instead they made it all digital, and the physics are all wrong, and it just throws the whole damn movie out. It's a problematic film. You know, they didn't use de-aging. I can't call it bad. They literally made a young Will Smith in a computer and he acted against like nothing. It is what it is. That's not the problem with this film. Mm. Also, the plot's just kind of a mess. Fair enough. There's a good idea in there and there's a lot of good pieces and some good set pieces, but just the whole thing doesn't come together. It just falls apart. Watch Barry. That's the biopic about uh, Obama. Yeah. No. No. What? Oh no! I, no, this is the HBO show where Bill Hader plays a hitman. Oh, that Barry! It might be one of the funniest things I've ever watched in my entire life. That Barry. There okay. are moments where I laughed so hard I had tears. Wow! It's just—it's so utterly ridiculous. I would, yeah. That's put that on your list. Put that on the list when we 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 get HBO for a month to watch Wonder Woman. There you go. There, there you go. we go. And then finally, um, we sat down and did a movie night one night, and we we all I, I, we sh- sh- blah, 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 blah. we watched Crimson Tide with the older kids. Mm-hmm. That movie holds up pretty well, actually. Nice. It, I I mean, it's an acting movie, right? It's it's the power of Denzel Washington versus the power of Gene Hackman, and 
it doesn't even need a particularly strong script to work because those two actors are at that level where they can make anything amazing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's great. There's it's a I that movie held up. It held up really damn well, actually. So, yeah, that's it. That's movies and TV. Uh, what's that leave us? Uh, video games. Yeah. Yeah. Not a ton for me. How about for you? I am currently on day 19 of my Ring Fit adventure. And that's going well? Yeah, yeah. So I got this exercise called planking, and may I just say out loud, fork planking? Like, fork it. Planking is tough, bud. Oh, jeez. <clears throat> oh, jeez, man. Like, I and, – and, and I keep doing it like a sucker because I'm like, I'm not going to let this exercise rule me, but like, I – I got a pa- I, I, so I got an attack where I had to plank and I used it because you know it was a good attack and um and in on my first day having never planked before I did I ended up doing 24 which was a really bad idea cuz I hurt the next day so indescribably bad in my core area <laughs> it was unpleasant but I'm like I'm not going to let the stupid maneuver beat me and I've been sticking at it and as of right now as of today, I managed to pull off 10, and I didn't collapse in utter exhaustion <laughs> uh, at any point in the middle of it. I did 10, and then I collapsed in utter exhaustion. And that's fair. Yeah. Getting there, getting there. Working the core. Working those core muscles. Um, but yeah, st- still not a great game. It's kind of a basic RPG. Still keeps me hooked because, like, damn it, I'm going to do those numbers. And if I have to do some weird yoga pose or whatever to get the numbers, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it to get those numbers. So, yeah, would recommend if if you need motivation to work out a crappy video game, surprisingly good at it. <laughs> I always used to like the uh, uh, there was a running app for the, the phone uh, where zombies chased you in the app. <laughs> and so you had to run or else you would die. That's funny. Uh, you have a switch see. like, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean it's eighty bucks. It's not cheap, but like, like give, give it a go. I'd say run it from your library. But <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? Have you ever heard of a game called Hades? Yes, yes, I have. This is my new jam. I got it yesterday, in fact, because it was on stupid sale thanks to Black Friday. Mm-hmm. And wow, it is so good. That's like a Diablo-style roguelite, right? And your Hades no, they- trying to s- escape the underworld. It's not really Diablo style other than the, the isometric view. Okay. It's, it feels like a 16-bit game in terms of combat. It's all about skill and, and knowing when to dodge and, and knowing the different enemy types. Like, you could conceivably beat the game in the first playthrough, except that it, it's highly unlikely because you do not have the statistics to do it. But every time you play, you get to invest in your character, and when you do that, you get permanent buffs. Yeah, that's and so the roguelike part of it. every time you play, you just make it a little bit further and a little bit further, like to... Today, I played on my lunch break, and I managed to get to the third level of Hades. And it was the first time I've gotten that far, and it's just between the dialogue and how they flesh out the characters and the, the art style, which just looks straight out of a Hellboy comic, and it's just, oh, man, I'm have, it's amazing. What an amazing game. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And then I've just been playing a, a metric ton of Valhalla. I've gotten completely sucked in. I am, in fact, a Viking, and um, everything is mine and belongs to me, and I will take it all. And England must quake in its boots. Oh, wow. They don't have a physical release of Hades. I will have to just buy that. Boo. So Valhalla's good. 
I mean, it's more the same. It, it's kind of in line with uh, Origins and Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, there's some good changes and some changes that I'm not a fan of. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the way they handle progression, uh, which is not to say that it's broken. It's not. It's just I, yeah. I the, the skill tree is intense. <laughs> it's it's real intense. But most of it is just passive. Most of it is is fluff, just to keep you from getting to the the, the big nodes. Um, and it's not tough to unlock stuff on the skill tree. So that I'm not the biggest fan of that and. I feel like the perfect Assassin's Creed game is if they were to go play Ghost of Tsushima and they took some of the the exquisite timing and combat from that game and just cribbed from it mercilessly. So the the perfect Assassin's Creed game is still out there. We haven't met it yet. Yeah, I want to try it, but I'm I'm I just I'm got, like gonna do it on the PlayStation Five. Dude, you can you can you can get the, the dirt cheap. You can get Origin. Well, yeah, I'd like well. I can just borrow any of those from the library, but start with Origin because then you can get to Odyssey and see the changes that were positive, and then you can get to to. to I think I'd Valhalla start with Odyssey. Honestly, I, considering those games aren't necessarily like completely my cup of tea, I think I'd start with Odyssey just because I like Greek stuff more. Okay, fair enough. So you can do that more than Egyptian stuff. And, and honestly, part of me at this point, like I, I I play these games and I almost don't want to go back to the 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 present anymore. You know. I don't need that anymore. I just want to stick in the past and have an adventure in that time frame. I don't need the 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 overarching narrative, which is frankly not that great. <laughs> and that's it. So fun reading. If anybody wants to do it, uh, I I was researching more randomness for my D and D stuff, and I read about Phantom Islands on the Wikipedia, which is a fun read through. These are islands that people totally swear exist, and then it turns out they don't. Um, some of them are like the classic, like the volcano erupted and the island fell into the sea. But others are just people got mistaken or whatever. Um, the one I, I'm, I'm kind of hooked into right now is a, a, a legend out of, of Spain, because of course, called uh, Artilia. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. But basically, when the Moors came in, they were like, oh... You know, they didn't just like slaughter everybody. The seven cardinals of Spain totally took their flock on boats and set sail to this island of Antilia, which is totally square shaped and has seven bays in it where they founded seven cities. And it's like a utopia where the, the, some of the stories say the sand uh, has silver in it. Oh, hey. Hey, oh. Yeah. And if you're thinking, wait, seven cities with wealth, isn't that like the, the seven cities of gold in, in the new world? Yes. Yes. When they realized Antilia didn't exist, that whole myth of the seven awesome cities kind of just moved over that way. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Interesting read. So, yeah, I highly recommend Phantom Islands. Go read about some Phantom Islands. It's good times. Entertaining times. Like the Shag Rocks? Yes. I think that was in that list, actually. Yes. So I've read about the Shag Rocks. Also, uh, I, I've been posting this up on over on the Discord. I found a guy who did a tutorial on how to paint Bob Ross's style on uh, Procreate on the iPad Pro. And me and the wife about once a week, we sit down and watch a Bob Ross and we just do it. Because, I don't know, it's like, wh- wh- how do you do a date night in COVID times? I guess that's what you do. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting. It's been fun. It's been fun making kind of cookie cutter art, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you keep sending it to me. It's, it, you're doing great. Thank you. Better than I could do, that's for sure. I highly doubt that. If you want me to send you the, t- well, it, you just need to get a couple hours to watch it. But yeah, you, there's there's two tutorials. Actually, the tutorial that I watched was really funny because the guy he he calls himself uh, Bob iOS, 
Oh, jeez. Yeah. And there's this part where he's like, yeah, just start painting those bushes. Yeah, just do those bushes. Oh, aren't those bushes having fun? And all of a sudden, like, the disco multicolored light turns on and, like, the, <laughs> the porn soundtrack starts playing. He's like, yeah, look at those bushes having fun. And then he, like, stops and looks around and, like, the, everything stops. He's like, okay, we're having a little bit too much fun with the bushes. Let's pull it back. <laughs> That's kind of ridiculous. I can get behind. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's called Bob iOS. It's on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I watched that and then uh, yeah, and then that gave me enough stuff that we went and did uh, did some actual Bob Ross paintings. I, I've done four. I've only posted two because two of them didn't turn out very well. But yeah, it's, it, you know, it's fun. <laughs> it's a good time. The stuff you've sent me has been great. Oh yeah. Well, I I, I kind of hit a, a block on one of them. That one turned out okay. But yeah, I've done two more that I didn't post on on stuff because it they were just going downhill fast, so I stopped. But I, I yeah, I post them on, I post them on the Discord when they turn out okay. So yeah, join our Discord. And I've been continuing to listen to Mission to Zix. That's fun. You'd like that podcast. If you were driving more, I guess. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Yeah. Tell me about it. And then so board games, Jonathan, we've been continuing to play Rally Man. It's been slow because it's almost like there's been a major holiday and people don't have time to like sit at the computer with bated breath, like playing their turn on Rally Man. Gosh darn it. Yeah, true that. Those are <laughs> facts right there. We need to start something else. <laughs> I'm a little frustrated with Rally Man right now just because dice games like to have their way with me in a negative way. You also haven't been paying attention. Gene and I talk about you behind your back. Well, I got a lot of going on you know i i I understand that but sometimes you make suboptimal choices because you're just missing some key details well i'm also getting prodded along by this dude who like every time it's my turn he texts me and it's like go 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 we're all waiting on you that's fair (laughs) so i just go and sometimes i'm on my phone and doing it on the phone sucks like the phone is just not an optimal place to be doing that no i would agree on that speaking brendan first edition take your turn darn it (laughs) <laughs> so uh, i i see two other board games on your list and then we are we are thin uh yeah i got a game of fury of dracula digital in and had a great time is this the it wasn't on tabletop it was it was the new steam one yeah it was the steam one i mean it's, it's, it's a great translation of the game it's a pity that it only supports two players right now yeah that's actually just why i didn't buy it because they I really like, need to fix that they really yeah. really really need to fix that yeah that's why i don't want to play it like straight up i i I don't like managing four characters. I didn't like managing two when we played it, to be frank with you. I want to play it with four different people and not and only focus on my one set of choices. Uh, and then other than that, I got a couple games in of Seven Wonders Duels, Duel with one of the kids and had a good time. That, that game, even many years later, is still great. Yeah, I still haven't bought a copy of that. I should. That's a really good two-player game. I agree. Is that it? That's it. Well, that, my friends, brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which means it's break time. And when we return, no deep dive and no news today, but we do have a two-part Ask Me Anything. And you guys have put some good questions in, so I am, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following... You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. 
find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Ask Me Anything in Space. That's space! I'm so glad I get to put the reverb in. So, first question of the evening is, Gina, my lovely wife, asks, how awesome is Gina? Well, how do we construct this? If there was a scale, and that scale was, let's say, on the left-hand side, we had uh, a dromedary camel that uh, suffered from a Valium addiction. Mm. And on the right-hand side, you had a great white shark that was equipped with uh, rocket motors and several high-powered lasers, Gina would basically be Pegasus on fire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll say this, so because we are an entertaining comedy podcast, I guess, first, kind of hinges on me saying something unexpected and shocking, which causes you to laugh. So I will say, how awesome is Gina? Eh? That's fair. I'll allow that. See, it's funny because I obviously don't feel about that way about my wife, but I got to say something funny. So I will say <laughs> the shocking thing. Gina's pretty friggin' awesome. <laughs> I think it's really what it boils down to. Yeah, yeah. She lets me rub her hiney. It's good times. Well, there's that too. I don't want to take that away from you. I, yeah, I don't want to take that away either. <laughs> <laughs> no, Gina is officially like, what would you call her? Like, because she, she's more than show mom. She's just well, dope. She, she, she just, yeah, yeah, she's I'd agree. Dope. dope. Like all dope. the good dopes, too. So when you imagine us saying dope, like we have our hats turned sideways in the baggy jeans and we're holding a skateboard. Dope. Dope. Yeah. Yeah, man. Dope. Totally dope. Yeah. <laughs> Do kids still use dope? Yeah. And if they don't, it's not we who are wrong. It's the children who are wrong for not using dope. Man, new slang drives me absolutely bat- batty. Like, it's, oh. Oh, what's the new slang? Anyone hasn't brought home the new no, slang. man, it's just the, whatever crap they hear in whatever YouTube video they're watching. And it just drives me up the wall. It, it It's like, to hell with English. English means nothing. We're just going to start combining words and making You know what? We, we've, we've had this d- discussion before about advanced language. and Robert. I'm horrified. See, my, my daughter really loves this lady named Lauren, who's... Maybe not completely age appropriate for her, but she's kind of snarky and she doesn't, she tries not to cuss. So I'll give her credit for that. And she's, she's very. <laughs> Hashtag things I suck at. Yeah. But, uh, but she says girl a lot. So my, my daughter has now like girl, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious coming out of a nine year old. If my eldest son bras me one more time, he <laughs> have any lips left to bro anybody with. All right, Jonathan, no sidetracking. We got to get through these questions. Bruh. 
Bruh. Bruh, we got to get through these questions, bruh. Bruh, come on, bruh. bruh. Come on, bruh. We got to get through these questions, bruh. Bruh, do you even podcast? I, I, I podcast, bruh. Do you even lift, bruh? I'm doing bruh. the ring fit. I'm doing the, uh, the ab blocks, bruh. Do you bruh. ab block, bruh? Bruh, I lift. <laughs> I do the, uh, the overhead uh, ring squishing. I forget. <laughs> bruh. Bruh, I make YouTube tutorials, okay, bruh? <laughs> bruh, can you, can, you even a- I, can you even ask the next question, bruh? Come on, bruh. Be professional, It's almost bruh. like you can hear somebody hit the flushing, and you now we're just swirling. We're just swirling. <laughs> that, that's, I think we've been swirling since episode 58. Yeah, that's fair. That's <laughs> I mean, like, if we're going to be 100% honest with our audience on episode 100, we've been swirling since episode 1. It's just occasionally things get stuck, you know, takes a second flush. Fair dinkum. Oh, God, how dare you? All right. (laughs) Trevor asks, if you were stuck on a desert island but have a TV and a means to play media, what TV show, video game and music album do you take? You can throw in a tabletop game to play with your volleyball and trained seagulls. Uh, TV show. I went with Star Trek Deep Space Nine because there's several seasons of it and it has a lot of weirdness and it goes places and it's fun to watch and it's my favorite Star Trek. Uh, video game, uh, I went with World of Warcraft or Roblox. Uh, I think I'd rather play World of Warcraft, but I don't play World of Warcraft because I don't have the time for it. But if I'm on a desert island, I would have the time for it. And I wouldn't go crazy because I could talk to people in raids and heal and yell at people to not step in the glowies. Fair enough. Music, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do the science fiction album by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra, which is a four or five CD set of various instrumental themes from genre properties. And I own piecemeal about half of that album by now. I should just invest the money and pick up the rest of it. Uh, But it's pretty good. I like it. I like it. And if I had a tabletop game to play, I would do Fate because Fate can do anything. And I I wouldn't be bored because I get a little magpie with games. I like playing different things. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, no board games. No, because I like playing board games with my friends and seagulls and a volleyball that I'm crazy with. I don't know if they'd be good friends to play board games with. Every time I hear seagulls, all I can think of is that bad lip reading for Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Stop it now. All I can think of is just like, it's like, uh, okay, it's your turn on Rally Man, seagull. Mine? 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 Okay, so I had several answers to this because a question like this is difficult, especially when it comes to, like, mood, right? Like, I have to be in a certain mood to do certain things. But as far as what I'm grabbing, I would either take Star Trek or Star Wars, just, like, the whole collection. Just, that's it. That's what I've got. I mean, I think you get a little more variety in Star Trek, but Star Wars is just a smidge ahead in my heart. As far as video games go, I would maybe grab the Sega Genesis collection that I have on Steam because that is basically the entire catalog of games that I used to play when I was young, and it's amazing. And uh, Panzer Dragoon, the the Panzer Dragoon series uh, that was on the Saturn. The uh, shooters are great, but more importantly, the Panzer Dragoon Saga game, that was the very first RPG that I ever played start to finish I own that. 100%. And I let a friend borrow it, and I never got it back. Yeah, it's worth like a metric ton of money now. I know. And for whatever reason, Sega has never republished it. 
Yeah, the set of sales of the uh, the remake that they put out on Xbox did well enough. Uh, they might consider going there. The com- there's a separate company that's remaking them all, but we'll see. Because that means they have to sell three <laughs> shooters really well to think about con- converting an RPG. But Saga, so. yeah, Saga is, I mean, like, wow. That was an amazing game. Yeah, it was quite fun. And man, was that game a big for the Saturn's britches. Like, Saturn just... Oh, the Saturn did not want to run that game. No. <laughs> that game was, was definitely planned for bigger hardware. But that, that whole universe is really neat. I, I would love to see a return to that universe. And it's mm-hmm. a real pity that we haven't had a game in, in what, 20 years? Orta came out in 02. And then they remade the first one this year. How has it been 18 years since we got... And, and Saga was so good. That's 22 years ago. Good lord. Like if I ever went back in time, that'd be one of the games that I would I, I would play again. Most games I would not go back to. I would probably not be a gamer in that alternate timeline just because I've already played them all, and you know, I, I, there's other things that I would want to explore. Saga, I would make the time for. Yeah, I'd agree. It was an interesting game. All right, uh, and then let's see, what do I have left? Uh, music, music, and- uh, the Faith No More catalog, easily. Uh, I'm a big Faith No More fan. I've seen them in concert. I grew up with them. Uh, well, it was one of my first. Which mu- which album though? Because he said music album. That's why I cheated and went with a multi disc one. Well, I mean, like you can only take one, Jonathan. It'd probably be the greatest hits because that gets me the best tracks off of everything. But if I had to pick one specific album, man, that'd be a toss up. I don't know. Epic and Angel Dust are both amazing sc- uh, movie or er, amazing albums. Like I don't know which one is better. Okay. I'm not willing to make a, a, a call on that at this time. Uh, let's see. Uh, the, the other musical thing that I really like is um, there's a, a band out of Norway called Wardruna. And they do this kind of like... Um, you only get to take one, man. No, I know. I'm, I'm giving some alternates so that people can un- better understand the way my brain works. <sighs> uh, Wardruna does... Um, uh, it uses a lot of traditional uh, Viking instrumentation and does kind of like this very moody, folky, like uh, natural music. It's really neat. I really like it. Um, and then the the close third would definitely be the specifically the score to Empire Strikes Back. What I think is John Williams' finest score of all time. Uh, and then board games, uh, it'd be something big, something that I could stretch out and because I don't have the time to play these games now. And it'd be Twilight Imperium 4th or Star Trek Ascendancy. Twilight Imperium with like all the expansions. Just play them all. <laughs> yeah, Three-day long the, game. As soon as the new expansion comes out, I'll still end up buying it. But... Well, the, the, the previous edition, because it had like three or four. Yeah, well, most of that got uh, 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 weaved into four. Nice. Twilight okay. Imperium Fourth has a lot of expansion content kind of woven into the, the core now. But now we're getting more expansion stuff. So. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Hey, man, it's a big universe. There's room to expand. And Ascendancy is the same way. I actually, I was just redoing my office over the weekend, and uh, I was just looking lovingly at my Ascendancy box, just wishing that I had people that I could get together with because Rona sucks. All right, Jonathan. Brendan, first edition, asks what RPG would you like a board game experience of and what board game setting would make a cool RPG? Excluding ones that already have a crossover. 
All right, so what RPG would I like a board game experience of? I've got two on the shelf that instantly come to mind. Um, Wild Skies, which is this kind of weird anthropomorphic animals during World War II on the Eastern Front RPG. So furry World War II, got it. Yeah, but it's not about them being furry. It's just they're anthropomorphic. I don't know. It's not that. Now you just made it really weird. Thanks. (laughs) Tainted it. You've tainted it. <laughs> well, then, what's the other one, then? <laughs> I'm almost afraid to say, because you'll ruin that, too. <laughs> Go the on. animal. Challenge accepted. <laughs> There's another RPG. I picked it up on DriveThruRPG a few years ago. It's called Warbirds. Mm-hmm. And it's the closest thing there that I found to, like, a Crimson Skies RPG. Mm, okay. And you'd want a board game of that? Yeah. It's weird. Crimson Skies kind of was an RPG board game. It was weird. Like, I've read the original rules. It's it's a strange mix. Man, it, like, it didn't know what it wanted to be, and it was way bigger than, than that company had any, any business going. It's true. It's true. I would love to see that universe get um, explored again. It, it's a real pity that that universe has been left to die. Okay, so... The thing I would like a board game experience of, I pick something weird, uh, A Quiet Year, which is already kind of like half a board game, but something a little bit more structured might be interesting. That's the one where you kind of do the problems of a town over a year, A Quiet Year. Oh, yeah, 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 the name. Yeah, but a more gamified version of that might be actually interesting um, with random events and whatnot. I I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, something like that. And then I had a really hard time picking an RPG because uh, a lot of board games, there are rpgs that are totally close to it like for example you said crimson skies and then warbirds and i I could think of a ton of those and like the only thing that came to mind where the lore of it i was actually kind of interested in um was mice and mystics but then mouse guard already is an rpg so i i was racking my brain trying to think of something else and i just couldn't come up with anything that seemed terribly unique you know because like a lot of games are just riffs off of things that exist like movies and whatnot like we make a lot of jokes like, oh, this game is totally not blah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. But yeah, Mice and Mystics, I actually think there's enough lore there that you could you could make something out of it, I think, just based off of what I've read about it and what I know. And, and you know, jousting on pigeons, that would be fun. Whatever happened thing. to that Mice and Mystics movie that was supposed to be? I don't know. Because, I mean, like, I'll tell you, there is a that's a really good property to be going to an animated film. But that is the perfect place that that DNA needs to go, you know? Yeah. Wow, it's been two years since they talked about that. That was October of 2018. Yeah, probably just got stuck in development hell. Well, I mean, like, two years to develop a movie, that's not unheard of. Yeah, but they, since we haven't heard anything, like, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. Robert, I just realized that I forgot to answer the second half of the question. Yeah, because we, we said Crimson Skies was like a little of A and a little B, and then we just sort of assumed he did both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going the other direction, uh, board games that I think would make really cool RPG setting. Um, so I I was looking at my shelf, and I saw The Godfather, and I was like, wow, how do we not have like a, a Godfather RPG? 
You know, uh, it just came out. I saw it at my shop. Um, there is really? a not a Godfather. This is another example of sort of. Um, there's a Powered by the Apocalypse game made by Magpie Games called Cartel, which I guess is a little more Scarface than the Godfather, but it's it's a similar concept. You are playing mafia people doing stuff, although in this case you are explicitly in the drug cartels. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Another one that I saw that, that made me think of it was Gears of War has never seen uh, an RPG, and that's such a deep universe. There's, like, I think maybe a dozen novels out in the Gears of War universe now, so it's really fleshed out. Like, it would make some cool stuff. Um, and then I, I saw on my shelf a, a board game called U-Boat, which is about being a, a, a U-Boat crew in, during World War II. And, like, what a fascinating RPG that would be about the tension of being stuck underneath the water like that. Like, that, that could make for a really interesting uh, RPG experience. And then finally, I saw Arcadia Quest on the, on the shelf, and I thought, wow, like, why is there not an Arcadia Quest RPG? That'd be fun. That's a good question. Like, that's, that's d- a very good question. Right? Like, that kind of needs to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking about Simon Games. That's a Simon Game, right? Yeah, it's a Simon Game. Okay, yeah, I was thinking about Simon Games, and I, my brain automatically went to uh, uh, Zombicide, but there's plenty of zombie games. But yeah, Arcadia Quest, especially a little bit more chibi anime, fast-paced fantasy. Yeah, it might be interesting. There might be something there. Yeah, yeah. I th- actually, oddly enough, you know the, that Fantasy game, that would work real well for it. Yeah, that's true. There you go. So now I've answered both halves of the question. <laughs> so now I get to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Brendan asks, how did you two meet? Do you want to tell the story or should I? So this is the tale from my point of view. Cause like, I don't like have a lot of hard memories of you prior to this, like one incident, because like, you know, I, 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 I saw a lot of customers like my, I, I remember you because you would bring Sophia in and Sophia and Eowyn would play. And then instead of having to keep like half an eye on my daughter, we both, would keep a quarter eye <laughs> on our daughters and then we could just talk about stuff. And I remember liking that there were, I had a fair amount of dads that did that, but I could not tell you the first time I met you. The first time I really, really remember you is uh, I've shared this on the podcast before I was at Costco and I was in my own head and I was kind of doing my thing, getting the sodas for the store and whatnot. And I ran into you and I kind of blew you off because I was listening to my headphones and just kind of in my own little world. And then I felt bad about it later. <laughs> And that's my first very vivid memory of you. Oh, how I love you, Costco. Because, you know, for you, the day that you met oh, Robert no. was the greatest day no. of your life. But no. for me, it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a better story than the Costco? Uh, no, I mean, like, I, I knew about the store when I lived in Round Rock because I went to all the surrounding stores. But because of the nature of Austin, there's no good way to get from Round Rock to Cedar Park. Like if I had other business in Cedar Park, like it was at the Target or something like that, I'd always swing by just to look. Uh, But generally, I went to a a store over in Round Rock just because it was more convenient. But once I moved to Cedar Park six and a half years ago now, um, that's really when I started going into your store more often and I mean, like, you know, what is it about they, they say about mass, like mass is attracted to other mass and because of gravity and just kind of tends to clump together. Well, I've found the same to be true of nerds. And it's always nice to have a nerd conversation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially when your partner at home is as far away from a nerd as humanly possible. 
<laughs> yeah, your partner at home is like a millennial. It's really weird. Oh, yeah. It's really weird. There's there's moments where it's great, and there's moments where you're just looking at them just going like, yeah, you're entire generation is fundamentally broken but that's not <laughs> i don't believe in that but i'm not saying that that's a true statement but there's moments where i think that in my head like that's fair fair dinkum but yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah no it's it's weird talking to jessica and like uh yeah she's just so it's so obvious there's there's just a generational divide you know and and here's the thing like i i've talked to people who are in the opposite direction, you know, like gen, more hard Gen Xers, like more mid-range Gen Xers, because I'm like on the tail end. And yeah, like I have way more in common with them than millennials. It's really strange. And I don't know what that magic line is. The internet. It, the internet's that magic line, man. Yeah, but I had the internet pretty – I mean, I, But you and I, I remember – you and I remember a time without the internet. They don't. Yeah, it's true, I guess. I, I don't know how that fundamentally changes your thinking, but yeah, there, there's probably something. It does. It alters behavior. Like, they've always had the internet. They don't understand what a map is. They don't understand what a phone book is. They've always <laughs> had cell phones. They don't understand that there used to be hard lines. I mean, hell, like, when I was young, I used to have to call the international operator and it be manually transferred to Argentina and then be manually connected to my family. Like, it, nice. direct dial wasn't even a friggin' thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, like, you know, the things that they take for granted are the things that we understand did not formerly exist. Part of the reason that millennials and Gen Xers are just so vastly different is because the technologies that you and I watched evolve, they've never not known. But that's the weird thing. Like, the oldest millennial, I think, is only maybe a year or two younger than me, according to the generational thing. But it's so... It, 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 yeah, there's a reason there is a generational gap there. Yeah, and, and I don't know what the magic is. Because, yeah, somebody who's a year or two younger than me, they were alive when there wasn't any any internet. They were just younger, but, but not like that. Like it, 10, it, but maybe? Dude, dude, like I was having this conversation earlier today. It's, it's, it's the difference between me not liking Power Rangers and somebody two years younger than me liking Power Rangers because I was right on the cusp of the age gap. I, yeah, but uh, I, I aged Power out of Power Rangers. By the time Power Rangers were a thing, I was too old to care. And I was talking to one of my coworkers and they were like, uh, oh yeah, I love Dawson's Creek. And I said, yeah, Dawson's Creek was, I, I knew it existed, but I was not of an age where that mattered anymore. Like my show was Party of Five. And she's like, oh yeah, like, I remember Party of Five, but I never watched it because I was too busy with cartoons at the time. You you want to hear something weird? Um, I, me being like a couple of years younger than you, uh, Party of Five was a little too adult for me at the time. Like I didn't like it because I, I couldn't relate <laughs> with it. And then by the time Dawson's Creek came out, I couldn't relate with it because they were too young. Yeah. So you, you see that that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like sometimes that two to three years means a big difference. Okay. It's funny because I, I do believe that millennials and Gen Z have more in common than millennials and Gen X. That's also fair. That, that those two generations, for whatever reason, and I do believe it's because of you know the internet and technology being where they are, I think that they have more in common. And and it, it's not a bad thing or a good thing, just that they are more you closely want to hear aligned. really weird? Really weird? According to everything I've read, my, my daughter's at the tail end of Gen Z and my boys are at the beginning of Gen question mark, which is strange to think about. Not that these arbitrary divisions really mean anything, but. But they do. They yeah. do. They do. There's a reason they exist. And that's because 
Well, yeah, but like somebody who's at the beginning of Gen X, I have like nothing in common with because like I mean that, that's why it's it's like kind of dumb and arbitrary because it, part of it is being a product of the pop culture of your age and you know, I mean even though you you didn't watch Power Rangers, you're aware of its existence whereas somebody who's like 10 years older than you might not even that might not even be the case because they would just weren't paying attention to Fox Kids at that like remotely paying attention to Fox Kids during that that time frame, you know? Yeah. But someone who's 10 years older than you is a Gen Xer. And that's my point. Like, But see, like, think of how, thing, how static stuff was between 64 and 79. I'm not saying that things didn't change. But, you know, technology was relatively static. Sort of, but yeah. No, no, no. I mean, like, legitimately, from 64 to 79, were there advances in technology? Yes, absolutely. Were they as warp speed as 80 to 95? Um, it's fair. You know, the the rise of the home computer, the rise of the internet, the, the rise of the dot-com, the rise of the cell phone. Like, those are fundamental shifts in the way people communicate. That's why Gen Xers and baby boomers get along okay. There are some differences, but they both understand the world before that divide. But that technology divide is, is a real moment where we're you know, life accelerated in a very specific direction. And it was a rapid onset of, of high tech that, you know, basically defines the way people communicate. It's also weird to think that it's quite possible that our children will have something like that, that separates them from us. Oh yeah, absolutely. I wonder what it would be, but I keep telling my daughter, there's always a thing that's like destroying the youth of America. Currently it's cell phones. You know, when I was a kid, it was violent video games. <laughs> my, my, I mean, my, both of our kids uh, are, are, are split their generations because Gen Z is 96 to 2010. And then, you know, starting in 2011, we, we get this new new gen, like people are calling it the alpha gen. Oh, so my, my kid, both all of my kids are at the beginning of. The, yeah. So, yeah. Knows? So two, two of my kids, two of my kids are tail end of Z because I've got a I've got a 07 and an 09. And then I've got um, three kids that were born in the next generation. And so they're, I'm already starting to see differences in between the two older ones and the three younger ones. Hmm. And think of, you know, like think of Amelia or think of Barry and, th- and think of Miles. Like imagine growing up in a world where the Internet is just a given and cell phones are a given and nobody has landlines and nobody has has anything like that. Right. Yeah, my, my like, daughter does not understand what we have no internet means. Yeah. Like when the internet goes out, she's like, hey, I can't play this game. I'm like, yes, it connects to the internet. And she's like, oh. <laughs> well, I how can't about this game? I not remember what we were watching, but, but this kid goes to this giant ass encyclopedia set and takes out like a volume. And then he has to go and get the addendum from the previous year to verify that like nothing changed. And I had to have a long conversation with the kids about the way an encyclopedia works because they Google didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, I, I had that conversation. I, I told you about it, and then I, I, I rented from the library uh, an encyclopedia because my daughter was curious about it. Yeah, that's right, you did. <laughs> she wanted to see what this encyclopedia thing was. <laughs> and then she flipped through it, and she's like, huh, this is kind of interesting. And then I'm like, do you want me to take it back? She's like, yeah. I'm like, do you want me to get B? And she's like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Like, I saw this chart. Um, I just found it again on the internet. Like, baby boomers... They want a face-to-face or a phone call. Gen X wants an email or an, an instant message, which is, I think, why Gen X has adopted Slack so readily. 
um, millennials are just text me. Uh, baby boomers are print me a copy. Gen X is send me a copy. And millennials are I'll Google it myself. You know, it just shows that 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 fundamental change in technology is powering so much of this rapid shift. All right. All right. We're way off topic, Jonathan. We're, I know. We're I know. OK. OK. Like boomer to X is, is evolution. X to millennial is a, a a jump, like a huge jump. OK. 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 Back on the questions. Focus. Focus. Anyway, yeah, I started going to the store, and I enjoyed having nerd conversations with you, and yeah, now I love you. Aw, you make my heart go pitter-patter. That's fair. That's fair. I'll allow it. Fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. (laughs) (laughs) Brendan asks, Jonathan, we'd love to hear a bit more about your current work and Robert U2. Thank you for getting me in the postscript on that. You too, Robert, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I work for a major video game publisher, and what I do is um, I create. I, I'm in the learning and development business, and this is something that I've done in several of my my previous employees, and it's something I've got. Gosh, coming up on 20 years of of you know actual factual work experience in. So basically, what my team does is we look at different topics that need to be addressed with our audience. Our audience are basically what what would amount to the, the folks that you talk to when you have an issue with uh, with a product that you purchased. And we look at training from the perspective of how adults learn, which is very different from the way children learn. And we uh, work using the, the different, you know, adult learning theories to take the information that we need to convey and do it and convey it in an efficient manner that speaks to all the different ways that people learn because there's several different learning modalities in humans. It's, it's not as simple as I'm going to tell you how to do this and you're just going to get it and it's going to be cool because not everybody learns that way. Some people are visual learners. Some people are um, audio learners. Some people are kinesthetic learners, so hands-on learners. And so you, you need to design your training in such a fashion that you speak to all these different modalities and try and engage all these people's brains so that they remember the thing that you're trying to train them on. And that's kind of like the, the nutshell of what I do. And Jonathan doesn't want to say the company he works for, but you can figure it out if you pay attention. <laughs> because if Jonathan, because of FCC regulations, Jonathan, if he says an opinion about a game that his company works for, he has to let you know he's an employee because it could be advertising, which is is a whole rules thing. I didn't realize it, it went to FCC. It, it is. It's I an FCC I, thing. It, it, it's yeah. because of the Fire Festival, man. I think that's where it came back to. <laughs> because Fire Festival paid a whole bunch of people to advertise, but they didn't say they were advertising. <laughs> Basically, I don't want to run cross of anybody. And I, you know, it's just easier on everybody if I just kind of like keep it somewhat uh, amorphous. Yes. Does that make sense? That makes sense. But yeah, no, it's it's actually an F- FCC thing. Like, true that. I, I had no idea. Yeah. I, no idea. <laughs> I was just assumed it was just... I don't know what I assumed it was. I don't think I ever actually put any thought into it. I just kind of accepted it as this is the way life is. Yeah, business doesn't do anything, Jonathan, unless, you know, like they can get in trouble for it. You know, that's a reg- <laughs> that's straight a regulation. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was because of Fire Festival. Like, I'm pretty sure you have that to thank for that. <laughs> Because yeah, it's. It, I mean, it is kind of unethical. Like if you're sitting there saying that. No, it, it makes it makes perfect yeah. sense. I mean, like you know, anytime I give any kind of opinion on the show, it's mine and mine alone. Right, right, right. 
Brendan, I, on the other hand, am a domestic goddess. I, I am Mr. Stay-at-home dad right now, and I'm very happy to be a domestic goddess. I, I, I think it's quite fun. I've been, I've been happy. You do time. a lot, though. It, it's not like you're just sitting at home not doing anything. Don't sell yourself short. You no, work hard. I, I, I am a domestic goddess. Yes. The Nigella Lawson. I, I strive to be her. She is my, she's my, 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 I don't know, mentor. I, I got nothing. Like, like on the weekends when my wife is at work and I'm home alone with the kids, like, make no mistake, that's work. Yeah, yeah. You know, at, at night when everybody goes to bed and I'm, I'm doing laundry and my wife is doing dishes or something like that, that's work. Like, they, they do not sell yourself short. I'm not selling myself short. I'm not, I'm not at all. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's mainly what I do. I bake a lot of bread too. <laughs> do I, I, we haven't actually like bought a loaf of bread in weeks. That's a lie, but we haven't bought a lot of loaves of bread in weeks because I've, I've been making bread because that's what you do in the Rona times. You just make sourdough bread. I'm still doing <laughs> that. I'm making these loaves. They're just not impressive anymore because it's like my 58th one or whatever. So You know what? Being a parent is a full-time job and that is the hardest thing that any of us will ever do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, all of my kids have virtual learning, including my kids in pre-K. Oh my god. Virtual learning is hard. Yeah. And then um, – Barry, Barry especially, but my kids are a little language delayed, so I'm doing stuff with that, and you know, and we're getting, you know, medical stuff to see if uh, if if one of the boys has autism, and so yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff I'm up to during the day, but you know, and then there's also long periods of time where I'm kind of just playing referee to making sure that the boys don't kill each other while they're playing because they're getting along famously. If yeah, that is a legit thing. Uh, making sure that your children don't murder each other is apparently uh, another thing that I had no idea about. <laughs> When I entered the parenting game. But I will say this, like Rona times are not ideal and I w- wish it didn't happen. However, one of the hidden gems about it has been uh, my boys have become very good friends like over this past year. Like right at the period of time where they could be friends, they've definitely become friends, which is really nice to see. And my daughter was starting to do that thing where she was pulling away, you know, and, and starting to become her own person and whatnot, which, which is fine. Like I wasn't upset about that. I, it, it's, it's part of it, but it, it has been nice getting to know her again and, and, you know, being really important into her, in her life. And, you know, and, and, you know, I, I do appreciate that. I appreciate that. I see her more. It's, it's kind of nice because my daughter is actually kind of cool. I like, I like hearing her think. Um, and also uh, she's become much better friends with her little brothers because she plays with them. And that, that has been nice too. And I think, after all this nonsense is over, uh, generation COVID, uh, at least at least my family will be a little bit tighter, I think, after all this is said and done. Like, I think there's some bonds that have been forming here that I don't think will go away, which is nice. No, absolutely. There, there are definitely pros to being stuck together. I think it long term, there's going to be some some difficulties, especially with the younger kids who are not learning the proper social graces yeah like i see that with amelia like she is she doesn't know how to be around other kids because she she's always around her siblings who are older but there's like a you know there's there's a five-year age gap there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so she's had very little time with other toddlers because like you know the vast majority of her life has now spent, been spent in lockdown which is crazy Honestly, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much because my boys didn't have a lot of interaction with other kids until they went to pre-K, but they picked it up pretty quick. I know, but it's you can't help but to think about it. Yeah, no, I know, I know. And the, 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 the upside, though, is like being able to stand up, take a quick break from work, walk outside, kiss my kids on the forehead, 
um, make a sandwich and then walk back to my office is huge. Like I, I never want to lose sight about how awesome that is. Yeah. My wife, um, she, she's kind of a night owl. And so <laughs> Gina just takes a nap on her lunch break. Typically <laughs> she just, cause she works in, in our bedroom actually. So, so we've hit that age. Have we? Yeah. Yeah. She just gets up and goes and takes a nap. I remember when, when I was growing up, my, my dad would come home and tell me, yeah, you know, I ate my lunch at work and then I just kind of laid back in my chair and set my alarm and, and just slept. <laughs> like, All right, dad. Congrats. That's good if you can pull it off. Anyway, yeah, there's, we're, there's we're way off topic again. We're way off topic. This co- podcast gets much longer. We're not going to be able to upload. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. All right, your turn. So Brendan asks, what is a book you treasured when you were young? I hate, hate to say this because it, it's so, so dorky. I thought long and hard about this, but it's really, really, really rare for me to read a book more than once. Because uh, I've read I've read Dracula more than once. I've read Dean Koontz's Watchers more than once because that is the book that turned me into a reader for whatever reason. And uh, I've read Dra- The Dragonlance Chronicles more than once, although don't read those as an adult. You'll regret it. And Lord of the Rings. And oddly, I've read Skeleton Crew by Stephen King on more than one occasion. I don't know why I like that book of his short stories in particular, but I do. Um, but the book that I treasure, the book that I think about, <laughs> that I honestly would clutch to my chest and love, uh, is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook for Second Edition. I Yeah, I still have my copy of that book, and it has seen a lot of love. I'll post a picture of it. Maybe that'll be the picture of the MA. I don't know. But yeah, it's... Uh, it is well used and well loved. And yeah, I love the role playing games and it set my course on that. And I hate to say it cause I don't want to be one of those grognards, but I am. So I'll just embrace it. I guess it's kind of like how I don't want to admit that I like my little pony because I don't want to, I don't want people to think I'm a brony cause I, I don't want to have relations with a pony and every, all the other stuff that the bronies do cause it's creepy. And I'm, I'm Wait not, a minute. I'm not that's there. a part of it. Yes. Well, that's what people think. Like if you say, I really like my little pony, I'm a brony and people are going to like, you have a pillow shaped like a pony, don't you? That you cuddle up with. And it's like, no, no, I do not. It's just in the hierarchy of cartoons. My child has watched. My little pony is like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch that. That's actually been kind of interesting so far. I have thoughts about it. I have a favorite character. There's episodes I really enjoy the, in particular, the episode about Spike, the dragon and him going and living with the other dragons and the one where he grows up and becomes a, 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 a money hoarding, you know, dragon that's trying to, you know, take damsels in distress and all that, that those were too, they were very D and D inspired. And I appreciated that, but I, I don't want to call myself a brony because it, it just comes, it's a loaded word. Also, apparently the, my little pony fandom has a real problem with Nazis right now. I've read about that. So there's a Nazi problem with my little pony. Yes. Yes. That's really surreal, man. <laughs> Yes, I, I legitimately that is the strangest thing I've heard this month. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've, I've read a little bit about it. Like again, I'm not terribly deep in the fandom because I, I don't want to be associated with it, and I'm, I, I'm not that big of a fan. I, but yeah, yeah, I, I've read that about the fandom that the fandom has a Nazi problem, which is weird to think about. But yes, it is true. No, that's legitimately strange. <laughs> Things you don't want to have a problem with Nazis. <laughs> That's a good, solid answer. What about what's a book you treasured, sir? So there was a book that I read when I was very, very young. It's by an author called Pam Hall, and it's called On the Edge of the Eastern Ocean. And it's about a little puffin 
who gets lost out at sea and accidentally stumbles upon uh, the spirit of a great auk, which was a flightless bird that lived in Auckland and was wiped out by settlers. Mm -hmm. And he tells the story of basically the intolerance that the settlers had towards the species and how they overate them and destroyed them and just wiped them off the face of the planet. And I don't know why, for whatever reason, between the words and the art and the message, like it always stuck with me. And it's, it's, it's made me very cognizant of how fragile ecosystems are and also how, how fragile populations are in general and, and how people treat uh, one another. Like it's, What's the book again? On the Edge of the Eastern Ocean. It's by an author called Pam Hall. Seeing if the library has it. It does not. Dude, it's hard to find now. Hmm. The funny thing is, I had no idea, but uh, Pam Hall is Canadian, and it all makes so much sense now, being an adult. Well, yeah, you know, that's why you said Zed as a child. I don't know that that was a thing. A to Z? What? (laughs) So, I don't know. Part of me would like to go up to Canada and see if I can just meet her and take her to lunch and thank her because she has no idea, but her her book, like, sharp or sharply, sharply uh, affected another human being's life and, and changed who they were and, and, you know, helped me to, I, I like to think, be a better person. That's sweet. And the other one that always got to me was, did you ever read... Uh, where the red fern grows. Yeah, we read that in school. Oh my god, man! That b- was the first time a book tore my heart out and made me cry. Okay, spoiler alert: if you haven't read this fifty or sixty year old book, uh, the <laughs> at the end of it, these two pups that uh, this this kid has had since they were puppies and growing up with basically sacrifice themselves to protect him from a, I think it was like a bobcat or something or cougar and like when those dogs die in that book uh, it just wrecked me i was bawling my eyes out for years <laughs> it felt like i still can't like go near that book that book will mess me up wow i hate to say it i remember reading that book in school and i don't remember very much of it man that was the first time i realized how powerful books and media in general can be because it was the f- the first time that a piece of media of any sort actually affected me to the point of, of having an emotional reaction other than joy or laughter. Okay. Okay. This is going to sound lame. Uh, the first time that happened to me, I remember I was watching this uh, show on Nickelodeon, I think when I was a kid. Um, and it was about some like family that worked in a zoo in Australia and it was not the crocodile hunter. It was, it was something different because it was an American family. And there was an episode where there was a gorilla that was like depressed because lost a baby or something. And it was like kind of like sadnessing itself to death. And then they gave it a kitten and it loved the kitten. And there was this really tender moment of it, you know, petting the kitten and stuff to, to raise. And it was really sweet. And I remember that was the first time I like cried as a child over something I saw that was like good. Amy cat, Amy cat, not Congo. Amy cat, it was not Congo. It was not. Amy cat. It was some weird show on the, on the, on the Nickelodeon. Robert pet. All right, all right, all right. So, final question. Is it my turn or is it your turn? I can't even remember anymore. Amy, question. <laughs> I'll go. It's just to end this. No, 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 bad Amy. Uh, Wes, <laughs> Wes asks us, 
who should a fan choose to have on their nerd trivia team? Which I don't know because I think our strong suits are in slightly different arenas. So I kind of I kind of phrase this to you as like, what are you good at and what holes would you fill? Well, OK, so I interpreted this question a little bit differently. Like I thought of if I was building an, a, a trivia team, who would I want to have on my team? And I said I would want a Star Trek nerd, a Star Wars nerd and a video game nerd. And the reason why I have those three categories is because even though there's a lot of overlap there, they tend to have very different um, bends. But I have noticed some trends in the extracurricular nerd stuff that Star Trek nerds like and the extracurricular nerd stuff that Star Wars nerds like uh, and, and the video game nerds. Like, it's interesting because they seem to have a broad gambit of general science and nerdiness embraced between those three categories. Well, what would you consider yourself out of those three? Uh, by far, I am a primary Star Wars nerd with a minor in Star Trek. Okay. And a co-minor in video games. I, I Well, I, I think everybody has a, a little bit of everything in that tri- trifecta. But, okay, so I would consider myself a Star Trek nerd. So what do you think I know better than you and vice versa? In what respect? Well, what what, what hole category. would you fill? What hole as a Star Wars nerd? What hole? What bit of knowledge do you have that I don't as a Star Trek versus a Star Wars nerd? Well, me being Star Wars, I mean, like I can get into the nitty gritty on the different ships and who designed them and stuff like that. And you could probably do a lot of nitty gritty stuff with Star Trek that I don't necessarily have. But but you said there's like other stuff that those two nerds. Oh, have. like I've noticed that that. Star Trek nerds tend to also really dig astronomy and anything associated with it and just planetary motion in general. <laughs> That's funny. I totally did that in college. <laughs> See? See? Yeah, yeah. I like planets. <laughs> Whereas Star Wars nerds tend to have more of like a pop culture spin to them. They're really good at pop culture as well for whatever reason. I, I would say something I've noticed about Star Wars nerds. They seem to know their uh, their real world like – craft a little bit better yeah absolutely absolutely and then video game nerds have a have a tendency to be like encyclopedic in their knowledge of weird shit like i i don't know why it's just these trends that i've noticed i i I won't say it's 100 percent of the time but i think if you take one each of those categories their their ancillary interests will generally while having some overlap cover each other and make like a nerd superpower intriguing well, so there you go. I'm the I'm the Star Trek nerd. Yeah, you'd be my Star Trek nerd. I'd be your Star Wars nerd, um, and I minor in video game nerd. Yeah, I probably minor in video game nerd over Star Wars nerd because I, I do have an encyclopedic knowledge of weird stuff. That that's something else I like to do. Yeah, you. I think Star Wars is your tertiary, whereas Star Wars is my primary. I would maybe even argue that video games are my secondary, with with Star Trek taking a very close third. Hmm. Yeah, I had myself down for D&D lore, genre TV, and classic horror literature, too. I'm kind of up on all those topics. But yeah, astronomy, astronomy, that's funny. I do watch I, – I, I found a good – It's a thing, man. Like legit. Yeah. Star Trek nerds love them some some astronomy, and God bless them for it. <laughs> I watch YouTube videos on that and documentaries. Oh, I do too, but just not nearly as much as you do. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the second season of uh, – what is it? Cosmos. 
that they're making. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Is that the end of the, the half? Yeah, that's the end of the half. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the first half of our Ask Me Anything. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, Ask Me Anything, part D. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for Ask Me Anything and our questions continue. First off, before we get started, you watched Australian Star Wars. Thoughts? It's pretty freaking funny. <laughs> also, much like I appreciate about British culture, I do appreciate the flexibility that the uh, Australians, the English, and I believe even the the New Zealanders show with, with certain words that start with the letter C. <laughs> That you just I love can't it. say here. I embrace it. Um, I think it's a fabulous usage of the language, and I applaud their entire culture for the the, the way they they have not only just embraced it, but are are just making a show of it. God bless them. I I, I wonder if the boys are going to allow us to start saying that in the states. You know, yeah, lots of shows have tried. I don't think that that's going to be the one for some reason in the states that that word is super like see that's the funny part because in other you know it, like cultural stuff like that is always kind of fascinating i mean we've been over this before with our, our friends up north and their bunny hugs you know like just, indeed just regional differences are funny or like uh or like how some people call drinking fountains the bubbler <laughs> that that is not something i ever heard until you told me that yeah, it's it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. But yeah, I, I I watched I read one of those listicles about like, you know, it's like do you call it soda or do you call it pop? Do you call it, you know, whatever, or do you call it the bubbler? <laughs> and the bubbler is pretty specific. It's it's a little teeny tiny area. No, that just sounds like something else. Something that I don't want in my life. I think it's a Boston thing, if I remember the, it correctly. The bubbler sounds like something that happens if you eat bad food. Go take it. I can't do a Boston accent. It's going to come out Australian right now because that's what's on the <laughs> Go take a drink out of the bubbler. Yeah, no, that's definitely Australian. <laughs> Fair dinkum. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and we've hit an all-time low. All right, okay. Moving on. Whoa, what a nightmare. Uh, what's next? All right, Brendan asks, with all this Bond knowledge, if you got to make the short list for the next Bond, pick three actors each. And pitch what the next Bond film would look like. I've got thoughts about this. I've got thoughts. Daniel Craig doesn't want to be in the movies anymore, right? Because he is tired of the role. Because apparently being Bond is very physically demanding, which I gather, you know? Because, yeah. Yeah. But the problem is they want to do a more realistic thing. They want to bring in a new actor and have it be more realistic with these things. And I, I don't think they want to reboot again. So this is my thought. This is my thought for the next movie. Okay. So first you talk Daniel Craig into having James Bond become M, right? Because I, then, God damn it. Okay. Because then Bond is still in the movies, so you could still call it James Bond Returns in blah. But 007, the agent, is not necessarily James Bond anymore. So technically, grammatically correct, we 
hold off that problem for a few more movies. Okay, so here, uh, Lashina Lynch is the new, apparently, 007 in, in No Time to Die. So we'll just keep her. That'll, that'll be the thing. So here's my idea for a new trilogy of movies. Kind of a reboot, kind of, kind of a, a remake of several things. First... So we get Craig back. This one would require him to work a little bit more, but I would have the first movie be kind of like Spy Game, where there's kind of this thing where 007 doesn't like this new agent that, that Bond is training and like overseeing his M, and we kind of have the Spy Game thing of this mentor-mentee relationship. But it ends with a finale that's oddly similar to the opening of GoldenEye, which is then we reveal that either Tom Holland or uh, Henry Cavill, whoever we could get, so I'm going to call him either Tom Cavill or Henry uh, Holland from here on out. Um, is actually Alec Trevelyan, 006. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, oh, and I figured out the title of this first movie, which would be half of everything. Moving on to movie two. Something would be instigated by the Janus Crime Syndicate, which would be this new thing, which we secretly already know about because we already know about GoldenEye, right? Uh, which ends up killing the head of a mafia family or some sort of organized crime thing. And then the person who ends up bubbling to the surface of this mafia family and taking over is one Francisco Scaramanga, a.k.a. the man with the golden gun. And we reboot that. I don't know who would play him. I'm thinking um, um, Poe from uh, uh, the Star Wars movies. What's that guy? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, yes, as Francisco Scaramanga. I think he'd be great. The movie would follow the plot of the novel, more or less, as Scaramanga is working with varying foreign powers and building resorts somewhere appropriate. Um, in the novel, it was sugar, but whatever is topical at the time. Uh, but Scaramanga is a madman. He's killing American and British agents willy-nilly, which is why they send 007 in. The end credits, Stinger reveals that 006 is alive, bum, 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 and that the Janus Syndicate killed the person on purpose to remove a rival and start a Yojimbo situation where MI6 and Scaramanga try to kill each other, and it weakens both of them. Which uh, That would be the duel between titans, because that's something that Scaramanga says in Men with Golden Gun. Movie three, basically a remake of GoldenEye, but using more appropriate bad guys and locations at the time that it was made. And Henry Holland comes back as the head of Janus, blah, blah, blah. And we play up the PTSD and all that great dialogue between the two of them about, you know, Bond and about being an agent and how awful it is and all that. Like, it'd be a really deconstructionist dark take on how being a spy in real life would be incredibly dark and awful. And then you just title that one The GoldenEye. Boom. Trilogy. Done. Jonathan, what do you got? Okay, so I took this in a slightly different direction. Um, I had the same idea about retaining the current James Bond, Daniel Craig, and having him move into the M role. Great minds. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. I think it's a logical step. Come on. How many days do you have to work as M? Like, it's like two, three days tops, you know? like maybe. Yeah, I'm sure Daniel Craig would come back and just get a paycheck and come back for a couple days of work, you know? Um, I, the James Bond moniker and the 007 moniker are one and, and in they're, they're basically tied together. And what it is, is just a role that somebody plays and to play that role, they have to leave their old life. So the movie would open with a conversation between the current Felix Leiter and the current James Bond, as they were both being put into a more um, managerial role because of their extensive field experience and because of the things that they've experienced, uh, just just in general, you know, they're invaluable. There's no way that a, a government would let that, that kind of knowledge go. It's too important. Yeah, yeah. In the opening of the movie, you would basically be in one of the current war zones, uh, one of the current conflict zones, and you would see basically British special forces doing their thing. 
and somebody would get hit and be assumed dead and left behind. And then the spy crafters would come in, snatch that person and basically help them to transition to their new role within the government. I think the movie would be called for queen and country because again, that's something that was said in Goldeneye. And that's one of my favorite lines from Goldeneye and Goldeneye has some of the best dialogue in any James Bond movie. Agreed. And that's how it would start. And then you would get to see the new James Bond, um, whoever that was, whether or, you know, baby Josephina Bond, if you wanted, if you wanted to go with a, a, a gal. Yeah, it would just kind of like start off that way and then move into a plot that would be very reminiscent of today's environment, because that's something that that James Bond, when it hits upon it, does so darn well. Uh, I'm looking at the Afghan war. I'm looking at uh, the one with Jonathan Price, where he is trying to manipulate the newspapers close to home, close to reality. So be be it that there is a country uh, that is trying to manipulate the political system within the United States using all the modern means to to basically affect economic policies that benefit them. So Bond goes after uh, a Russian hacker farm. <laughs> sure. Awesome. That would be awesome. Right. Like it's 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 close <laughs> to home. It's totally believable. And it actually it's the smaller James Bond stories uh, that, that work just like the first Dalton movie. I could dig it. I could dig it. It doesn't have to be like a, a super villain. Like sometimes the smaller stories are the better stories. I think that's what works so damn well about Skyfall. Yeah. And even to an extent about uh, Goldeneye, because even though it's an overly yeah. elaborate scheme, at the end of the day, it's still just a heist. It's a relatively small story, you know, by, yeah. by friggin' Bond standards. Now, as for casting, I would go with, I went a couple different directions. I think the villain should be Bill Nye. Bill Nye, the science guy? No, no. Bill Nye, the the, the British guy from uh, like Shaun of the Dead. and Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm messing with you. Go ahead. <laughs> Underworld. I think he should be the villain, without a doubt. And he doesn't look at all like Putin, so that, w- that would be appropriate. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, just, I'm not going to say that that's where my brain was. Not going to say that at all. Because that would just be, you know, like I don't want it to be too close to home. But yeah, he looks all, exactly like Putin. Not that I that crossed my mind all day yesterday or anything. but Okay. Um, as far as great James minds, Bond, great minds. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on your wavelength. So as far as James Bond went, because I was keeping the moniker of James Bond, I uh, looked at a variety of different actors. I've heard Tom Hardy tossed around and I think he'd make a great Bond. So I put him on my list, on my short list. But the two that I'm most excited about are Idris Elba, because I think he's amazing and he's got the acting chops to bring that kind of combination of humor and um darkness that is bond at his greatest and that's when i look at craig and dalton you know what i mean mm-hmm. and, and even to some extent some of brosnan's work especially in goldeneye and especially in um uh the world is not enough and then i also have um and i'm gonna kill his name and i'm so sorry chiwetel Ejiofor. Mm-hmm. because again he's is got that the that- operative from serenity Yes, 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 yeah, that's yes, it. That guy. Yeah, yeah, and he was in <laughs> he was in Love Actually too. Yes, he was in Love Actually. <laughs> not not where I got him for this role. But again, I think that he brings It, it shows he has a range, sir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I think that the thing about him is that he brings that same combination of the ability to go dark and and brooding and the ability to go lighthearted and comedic. I could dig it. I was thinking that guy too, actually. So that's those are my my. I'm just wondering if I butchered the hell out of his name. 
you did a little bit, but I recognized it, so you got it close enough. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that'd be where I went if it was uh, male casting. And as far as female casting, I, I'm not as up to date on um, younger British actresses because like there's a couple that come to mind, but some of them have already been in the franchise, like Rosamund Pike. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that it, you know we could buy bringing her back in. Sienna Miller came to mind. She's awesome. Uh, and Karen uh, Karen Gillan came to mind. She's awesome. And even Daisy Ridley came to mind. I think she has the physicality for it. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. And then, you know, honestly, the only reason I did not include the actress from the new movie in it is because I don't know what they're going to do. And I don't want to discount that role yet. Okay, uh, I I'm just assuming she's going to take over, so that's why it, it I, certainly I seems in. like that. And you know what? I'm totally okay with it because she's a she's a fierce actress. I yeah. really like her work. But like a couple other actresses came to mind, like Rachel Weisz and 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 Rosamund Pike, who's already been in. Like I said, but also like I feel like they're already right on the cusp of a movie like this that's going to hurt and we're only going to get like two or three performances out of them before they're like okay like this sucks i'm not doing this to myself anymore yeah yeah i can't believe they got craig to go back to be honest with you (laughs) he seemed like he was so done with it well again by all accounts the the team at Eon, eon productions is quite lovely like they're nice people to work with you know and he said on many occasions he doesn't want to do another movie, but he's going to really miss it. And so I think when he has a little distance, that's how they talk him into it. You know, they just let him have a couple of years off and then they ask him again. He's like, oh, yeah, it'd be fun to work with you guys again. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, it really was that bad. I forgot about this. <laughs> but, yeah, like, like I said, I, I am very curious to see what they do with um, what appears to be the the – replacement for james and if that is the replacement i'm totally okay with it because like i said she is a fierce actress and i cannot wait to see what she does with the role word i'm sad the rona has stolen this movie from us i really want to see it yeah uh, you're not even kidding yeah but yeah that's that's my plot you know it it kind of mirrors my my favorite bond film so far in that it's it's a relatively small story that's reasonably close to reality uh and and creepier because it actually is feasible and uh yeah those are my casting choices and i would like to see bill nye uh, as a villain in a bond movie because i think he would be freaking amazing we really both of us kind of went all out on this yeah we've only watched like 19 of these freaking movies <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, we, and we also you know picked up a thing or two but more importantly we picked up all the things not to do <laughs> Yes, and, yes. Oh, is that list long? Yeah. Yeah. And we're we're going to get to like the culmination of everything that you shouldn't do in a Bond movie next time. I'm oh, so Oh yeah, excited. no. <laughs> there there's a dumpster fire party of two with our names on it coming right up. <laughs> yeah. Die another day. Can't wait. That'll be in 101, baby. All right. Wes asked, "What is an IP that you each feel has not gotten a tabletop RPG uh that should have one?" Jonathan Okay, so I had a couple of answers to this. Uh, the first thing that came to mind, mostly because I'm reading the book right now and I just watched the show, Lovecraft Country. Now, I know that there's been plenty of Lovecraft things floating around. That's not what I mean. Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country comes to mind because of the way it handles the racial injustice of our history and how it doesn't shy away from it. And I think that not only would it be a fun universe to play in and to role play in, 
But more importantly, I think it would shine a light on some very, very terrible things that are in the United States past that we need to acknowledge as a whole and bring young people up to speed on so that they understand why things are the way they are right now. Yeah. Uh, having read most of Harlem and Bound now, Chris Spivey would be really good for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he would be my author of choice for that. And I think that the Lovecraft Country novel and TV series would lend themselves extremely well to an RPG experience. Um, and it's one that could be impactful, like it, it, extremely socially impactful. And I I hope that comes to pass. And if anybody wants to bring me in as a co-writer, I would love to work on that project. One of my other answers was uh, the Ryan Lockett universe. Because frogmen are cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, when you look at Above and Below, when you look at Islebound, when you look at... You know uh, what? You know what? Put a pin in that. We've got a question like that later. Oh, okay. Okay. Put a pin in that. Put a pin so, in that. So, the Ryan Lockett universe, I think, would make a great tabletop RPG. Battlestar Galactica. There's no Battlestar Galactica RPG. Pfft, incorrect. Is there not? I couldn't find Margaret one. Weiss Productions. Uh, it's out of print now, but Margaret Weiss Productions back in the early aughts made a Battlestar uh, Galactica RPG using the Cortex system. Well, ultimately, it was so forgettable that nobody even knows it exists, including Google, apparently. Oh, wow. Yeah, Battlestar Galactica comes to mind. And then finally, and I know this is going to be a weird one, but I've always felt like this world was was so fully fleshed out and well beyond the confines of the movie. Big Trouble in Little China. I think that that is a neat world and there's so much more that we did not get to see, but that it obviously exists in somebody's head someplace. Because one of the things I love about that movie is that that world has rules that extend well beyond the scope of the movie. And those rules are always in play and holding holding everything rigid. Like... You know what you need to do? Was that? Oh, sorry, sorry. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. No, I was just going to say, like, the the mythology of that movie works through and through. And, and, like, there's obviously more to that universe, and I would like to go play in that universe. Very much so. Okay. Uh, What you need to do is you need to go to wherever and pick up uh, a little role-playing game called Feng Shui. Second edition. Hold on. Yes. Hold, please. Now, it's it's not Big Trouble Little China, but it's definitely highly inspired by big trouble in little china uh i have a copy of it downstairs i will send you some pictures there's a feng shui 2 yes that's that's the second edition that's the one you want so by robin laws robin d laws yep i'm putting this in my amazon cart right now ah nice so i apologize jonathan i was thinking of the question that brendan asked us earlier about what tabletop game would make a good rpg and you're answering yet another one with uh, above and below <laughs> so i'm sorry i cut you off there because uh, that will not come up later that was before it's pretend to be a time traveler day so that's why i got confused it was a paradox there you go. i'm gonna i'm gonna go with that well i just i like i think that that universe is really cool and there's a lot of unique and interesting aspects to it like the frog people and the the above and below concept and things like that like all of that would translate so well into an rpg i, I want my sequel dry and moist <laughs> how about near and far because we have that we, can make <laughs> no, that we need for you. we need the third sequel dry and moist <laughs> Flaky and moist? Maybe it's flaky and moist. <laughs> God, somehow makes it worse. <laughs> uh, 
uh, for me, for me, the obvious one to me was Mission Impossible. We haven't gotten a straight Mission Impossible uh, RPG. I thought there was a Mission Impossible RPG. It was. There might be one like way back in the eighties that did the original series, but I, I, I think we need to do the whole breadth of like the reboot and the, the Ethan Hunt series and whatnot. Uh, with a modern gaming system, I think you could do it better. There's again because I'm knowledgeable about RPGs. There is something that's what about totally Top so- Secret. I haven't read Top Secret. I have it sitting here. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't read it either. There's uh, a leverage RPG based off of the the show that was on whatever cable channel that was, which was very similar to Mission Impossible. It's about a group and they go and they infiltrate and do stuff, blah. Um, and that was interesting. I don't know if I like the Cortex system personally, but yeah, just Mission Impossible came to mind. Like, because uh, here's the thing: I have a lot of like I really love Knights Black Agents, but that's like spies and vampires, and um, that's more X Files than it is. Well, no, no, no. It's 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 very super spy, but it's super spy where your antagonists are vampires. Yeah, but, but it's it's like 007 X Files. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I think it's closer to that than than it is Mission Impossible. Like that's a yeah. great one. Like I love that answer. That's a great answer. So as a follow up, choose an IP that has a tabletop RPG, but it wasn't very good, and you'd like to see another attempt taken. Uh, going on my super spy thing, there was a James Bond RPG, which by all accounts was terrible. Oh God. Uh, yeah. I've read stories about how craptastic that was. Yeah. Same with so, the Indiana Jones one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in this modern universe, especially if they could somehow pull off, cause I went with mission impossible because that has a cast, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an ensemble. Um, James Bond is hard to pull off because everybody wants to be James Bond and James Bond doesn't have a lot of people that work with him. So I don't know exactly how you do that and make it work. I've seen attempts like the Buffy RPG attempted that where you had somebody play the Buffy and then everybody else played much lower powered like Scooby gang people. Somebody tackling that and doing it well would might be interesting. It'd have to be a revolving cast, though, per adventure, because pretty much the only recurring character is Felix Leiter sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So and I, I don't know. Sometimes. Yeah, I don't know how you do it, if it'd be like a one-on-one RPG or if it would be more broad. I have no idea. But James Bond came to mind as a, a truly terrible RPG. <laughs> Generic British, uh, you know, pencil-pushing advisor character 17. <laughs> so I had a couple of answers to this one, too. Um, like I said earlier, Indiana Jones, because yeah. like the one that exists was so bad that they lit it on fire and made an award out of it. Do you know that there were two Indiana Jones RPGs? It sounds like they were both terrible, too. Yeah, yeah. One of them was the one you know of. The second one came out for a system produced by West End Games called Masterbook, which was one of those weird 90s games that really wanted to be narrative but didn't know how, so it's got a lot of rules. But the Masterbook system, what they did was they made up an original setting for it called Blood Shadows, which was kind of like fantasy noir, which is interesting. It's gotten a second edition with its own rule system, which is good because Master System's kind of crap. But then what they did was they bought a lot of licenses and made a lot of random RPGs. And Masterbook has Indiana Jones, Tales from the Crypt, and Species. Oh my god, that's a random one. Species, of all things, got an RPG? Yes, it did. Wow! Yes, the the premise of Species... I actually own this. The premise of Species, the RPG, is that Syl... Uh, when she got her head blown off at the end, much like the dude in the second movie, she just grew it back and she was fine. And so you are agents that are going out and hunting down Syl and her children. And so like you can fight like <laughs> oh half aliens God. and quarter aliens and one eighth aliens. And as agents, you can also like kind of like cyberpunk style, like inject yourself with Syl DNA. And uh, but as you become more superpowered and alien, you lose your humanity. <laughs> From the back cover. They thought the danger was over. 
They thought the alien had been destroyed. They were wrong. (laughs) A government experiment gone horribly wrong. A shape-shifting alien predator unleashed. A government team dispatched to stop her at all costs. But Syl survived somehow. She's out there, free to breed more of her kind. And free to kill. Dear also, God. did you hear me? They say- just made anything into an RPG in the early, in the nineties, didn't they? Yeah. Well, did you hear me say Tank Girl also got it? The movie. They did a Tank Girl Master Book game. Specifically, the movie. Yes, specifically the movie. Does it have Ice Cube as or Ice T? Excuse me, as a uh, kangaroo yes. man. Yes, I, I I think I had this one too. I do not remember it. Hashtag as well. world's most awkward casting choice. Yes. But yeah, the Masterbook system had a lot of weird IPs around it. And, and it's like, why would you make Species and Tales from the Crypt? That seems kind of overlapping in a weird way. Kind of Well, I guess one's sci-fi horror and the other one is, you know, anthology horror. But how do you make an anthology horror? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm stuck now looking at pictures of Ice Cube as the kangaroo dude. Awesome. But yeah, yeah, Indiana Jones came out for Masterbook as well. And you nobody's ever heard of that. So I, I only heard about it because I randomly went on a Wikipedia spiral about Masterbook like literally the other day because I kind of vaguely remembered it. And I'm like, how how awful was that game? And then I was reading over it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was pretty bad, which is sad because it's clearly based off of the West End Games D6 Star Wars system. And that's great. That still holds up because it's very light. But this game got really crunchy and it just didn't need to be. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> the majority of the Tank Girl movie. <laughs> but I agree. Indiana Jones could definitely use a, a little love. Dear Lord, that movie was so crazy. I was working in a movie theater when it came out. And I remember walking in and watching it and just walking out. And like, what just happened? With Tank Girl? Yes. Where she wears rockets on her bosoms. Yeah. Yeah. Naomi Watts was in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. That was Jet Girl. Yeah. Like crazy <laughs> god and i love ice tea don't get me wrong like i'm a huge ice tea fan but like it was so awkward seeing him in that that like low rent makeup you know stan winston made that i think yeah he did it as a favor for somebody if i remember my my movie lore correctly i might be wrong about that don't quote me on it maybe he designed it remember when iggy it. pop showed up randomly as rat rat dude or whatever his name was oh yeah you know who was in that holy crap doug jones was in that as one of the rippers that completely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense, but it's so funny because you'd never know. Well, you never would know if Doug Jones is in anything because he's under like 12 layers of makeup. Thank God he got Saru. Like, I, I, I listened to an interview with that man and he's so happy to like, you know, be playing a character in the long term. <laughs> Dude, you know, I, I respect him immensely for the physicality that he brings to a role specifically with Saru when he's walking around and he's waving his arms back and forth behind him. That is not a natural position. I sat there and tried that for 10 minutes and I was sore after like five minutes. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. And I can never make it look organic like he does. I just look like an idiot trying to be an alien character from TV when I did it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Where are we at? Where are we at? I don't know. Let me just close this window with nothing but pictures of Ice Cube as the Ripper. <laughs> or Ice T, excuse me. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so Indiana Jones, I said Street Fighter. Street Fighter, the RPG was awesome, and shut your mouth. <laughs> okay, I've read it. It was not awesome. It was a hot mess. It, yeah. I'll like, get, it, the it concept, had a lot of good ideas. The concept <laughs> of people 
roaming around the world fighting each other is interesting. And the concept of trying to role play and make a combat system that is basically pugilistic and and the back and forth that would be like a a, a street fight like this, like that's an interesting concept to me. I'd like to see how that plays out. That game didn't do it. There's way too much 1994 in that game. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll way too much. Still, it tried something. I'll give them credit for trying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, no, credit where credit is due. Absolutely. But they did not nail it. Have you ever heard the story of how that game got made? No. Okay. Do you know who made that game? It was, White Wolf made that yeah, game. I was going to say, it was, it was a, a well-known publisher, right? Yeah, it was White Wolf. So apparently while they were working on Vampire and Werewolf and all this darkness uh, on their lunch breaks, they'd go across the street to the convenience store and beat each other up on Street Fighter. And then they had a hole in their schedule and someone was just like, what if we made Street Fighter the game? And everybody just like kind of fell in love with it because they just loved playing Street Fighter. And uh, yes, and then they, they saw if the license was available and, and it was and they bought it. Next thing they know, they're making the Street Fighter RPG. <laughs> And and they're like, why no, are we making not this? Street Fighter the RPG? It's Street Fighter the storytelling game. Yes, but they're like, how how did we end up making this? And nobody knew, but they were having a good time, and that was just all those guys just having a good time, not being so dark and dreary, and just being silly. And I can appreciate that too. I remember just all the art in that being from like this weird comic style that was so not the art style of Street Fighter. Yes, yeah. It was like, <laughs> hey. We know that there's already an existing art style for this property, but how about we just give it to these unemployed 90s comic artists instead? Okay. I can't believe Capcom signed off on this, especially yeah. the cover, because the cover is an abomination in and of itself. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I, I would love for someone to tackle that combat system, because you're right. It didn't do it right, but it, it had a good idea. No, but the, like the, the the concept of two people having an extended fight with special powers is interesting. I'd like to see a combat system try and tackle that. Now, the combat system was interesting. I I I don't think it got it quite right. No, it didn't it was, get it at all. It didn't work. It, it's a good idea. I see where they were going with it, but they're it, they don't get there. Um, I also had Cadillacs and dinosaurs. You remember that? Yes. I think that would make an amazing RPG. Uh, there was a, a Cadillacs and Dinosaurs RPG at one point, I think, uh, but I, I don't. I've never been able to get a copy of it. That's for sure. That was by GDW. Wow, that's an oldie. And then the last one was the Red Star because the Red Star had this weird iteration in the old D twenty system, and I would just like to see the Red Star done with a modern story based system because that's what that needs. Yeah, agreed. Brendan asks as a follow-up, uh, what is an IP that you each feel has not gotten a board game that should have one? Oh, this was uh, like the hardest one to answer, I got to tell you. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner. Okay. Because, again, that is an amazing world where you can have a variety of different amazing adventures and yet nobody's ever gone there. I don't know why. Like It's an amazing world. Okay. Uh, and then the other one that I, I had was, um, because this is something everybody loves, right? Like, what do you do whenever you go camping? You tell ghost stories. Why is, are we not taking the haunting at Bly Manor or the haunting at Hill House and making that into an RPG system? This is, this is for board games, though, sir. Board or, games. Or, or a board game for that matter. Yeah, a ghost story board game would be interesting, especially, like, if you could capture the mood of... Any of the versions of that? Well, not the Jean de Bont Which, which one, I think but, you could, because Mysterium captures 
spooky mood very well. So does so does um, Mansions of Madness. Like I, I feel like the underpinnings have already been designed. They just need to figure out how to make it scary instead of just spooky. Yeah, you know, if if they could go a little meta with it and have like like tell you to play in a darkened room and and try to get you to like get that creep factor that something's watching you, not you the player on the token on the board, but like you sitting there, yeah, moving a token on the board. <laughs> Like they, I just I thought that a, a, a board game, a board game based on on like a haunted house, like a legit good haunted house that extends into storytelling would be amazing. <clears throat> okay, I went a little out of left field, and and tell me if there's a game already like this. Um, there's this lovely game that's on a lot of systems. I currently own it on the Switch because it doesn't work on Mac anymore because it's not 64 bit. Ugh. Have you ever heard of a game called Halcyon 6? I was talking about it a while ago. Oh, yeah, ago. it's a great game. I have that game. Yeah. That's a great yeah. game. Yeah. So that, the board game. So like a 4X game, but there is a automatic, automated, like, in, in Halcyon 6, they're bugs, but like a Borg faction that's trying to take over the universe. And so it's semi-cooperative because you guys do need to work together to, like, stave off the Borg because you, nobody can really do it alone. I have but you are for you, bud. What? It's the Borg expansion for... Uh... Uh, Star Trek Ascendancy does exactly what you're saying. Oh, well, there you go. That's the only thing I could think of, though. But Halcyon 6 is cool. Like, I would love to see Halcyon 6 made into a board game. Or, awesome. or a special... Okay, I'll, I'll go a little different. Not not just the Borg faction. So how about this, then? Everybody plays the air quotes Federation faction, and there are a bunch of different AI factions that are trying to do stuff. And instead of being the 4X of expand and conquer, you are doing the 4X of rebuilding the Federation while interacting with all these other factions. And see, now somehow- that, that would be interesting, because that's what 4X games lack. There is no cooperation. 4X games, by definition, are always combative. Yeah, but especially if it's app driven, so like the AI or whatever of the different factions could change uh, based on your playthrough. Because the, uh, Halcyon Six does have a Borg faction, and they've got space pirates, and they got totally not Klingons and stuff. So yeah, just stuff like that. You could also do it with like an um, a, a, Atoma deck, kind of like they do in Scythe and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, just something totally something work. that automates some of the other factions. And so like the four Federation players are trying to rebuild the Federation together. But they have to deal with these external threats, one of which is just a threat that wants to murder you. But yes, you can eventually make alliances with other people. Based I actually on would like actions. to design this board game with you. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. That would be a super fun project. Boom. I think you're on something because there are no co-op 4X games that I can think of right now. There you go. See, I'm on to something. Yes. Brendan, you actually have a board game. Brendan, first edition. You actually have a board game company, man. Consult. I'll we come up with your lore. You. We have ideas. I'll play test and I'll project manage and I'll come up with lore because that's pretty much all I'm good for. I'm not terribly a great board game designer, but yeah, you, you, you've dabbled in that too, but I just don't have the time to take the dabble and make it a full fledged idea. I would love to, but it'd be fun to learn how to program a, a tabletop simulator and make your board game there. That would be a very wise thing to do. But again, time, always time. Maybe I'll get on that. I'll try to figure it out. I don't uh, know if I have a modeling program that would work. Anyway, sorry. Off topic. <laughs> All right. Brendan asks, choose an IP that has a board game, but it wasn't very good, and you'd like to see another attempt taken. Oh, this was, this was the easiest one for me. Oh, see, this, is, this was the hardest one for me because I, I play board games with other people. Like, I don't go and research board games on my own. 
you know? <laughs> and so everybody brings me board games. And I have yet to play one I loathed. There were some I didn't like over others, but I didn't think they were necessarily bad. Like, there was no board game where I was like, this is terrible. I don't... I, act, okay, that's a lie. Okay, okay, never mind. That's a lie. There is one board game I played. All right, so there was a game that I got into the store, and I had a, a, a person that was really into Castle, the, the TV program that was on in the time with the Nathan Fillions, a.k.a. Captain Tight Pants. It was like the detective game or something. I free- oh, Hold on, I'm going to look it up so I can get it right. Castle Detective board game let's see what's it called yeah here it is okay it was called castle the detective card game and you were supposed to was this based on the tv show yes it was based off the tv show that's why this person got it that's why i ordered it and she came in and she got it and we played it and i literally felt bad for getting it to her and charging her money for it it was that bad oof yeah, it. Um, I don't even remember why it was so bad, but it was like it was supposed to be like Clue or some nonsense where you were supposed to figure out like a murder mystery or something. But it was basically Clue, like you know, it was basically like you know, A to B to Z to C to D. Boom! It's this person here. You know, it was it was not very good. You could it was like play. It's like have you ever wanted to play Clue, but you want to do it in five to ten minutes? Here's your game, and it's like I don't think anybody ever asked that question or wanted it, and it was terrible. And I felt bad for charging the money. I seriously thought about giving it back, but we were kind of kind of in a, a bad time, so I couldn't afford to do that. But I literally felt bad for selling that game. And and positive podcast, I've avoided talking about Castle the card game now. The detective card game. When the hell did that even come out? cryptozoic i don't even know but castle's been canceled for years now so it's it's pretty old at this point <laughs> spoiler um, alert yeah the show ends <laughs> yeah yeah well it ended after like seven or eight seasons so it, it, it had its run but yeah it good oh, run. yeah oh man uh, it, that was that was bad so yes i would like to see castle get some love where you could have a i, I don't know how you like somebody taking on clue again and trying to make it better uh, that would be interesting because Clue Clue has its problems. It's a it's a good game, but it, it needs a little bit more depth, I think. So there you go. That's my answer. All right, you ready for this? Yeah, I have yet to play a good Back to the Future board game, so Back to the Future immediately popped into my head. There have been some okay games, but they're okay because they're they're decent game engines that don't really necessarily do the time travel aspect correctly. Like, I feel like there's something there. Honestly, the, the game that most lends itself to it would be time stories. Like, I feel like you could totally turn the time stories engine into something cool for back to the future. Like that'd be dope, but I don't know. Like there's that new one. I have not played the newest game that came out. I saw it at target the other day and I almost impulse bought it, but I did. I just did not. And yeah, I've not yet played a good back to the future board game. Uh, the other one is Transformers has never had a good board game. <laughs> There's been lots of Transformers board games. None of them have been good. The other one was Halo. Have you ever seen the Halo board game that came out? Uh, yes, but not for a very long time. Uh, yeah, it's really, really old. There was a DVD involved, and there was also an incomplete rule set. Speaking of incomplete rule sets, the Oregon Trail game that was at Target for a long time. It's like they got halfway through the rules and then they said, well, that's enough. <laughs> it's fine. Do you want to feel better about the Back to the Future board game you saw at Target? Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, publisher, Funko Games. Designer, Prospero Hall. Mm, just looking over and seeing, well, seeing a lot of games, really, that, that make me kind of need that. Currently at a 7.6 on Board Game Geek. Looking at you, Horrified. Looking at you, Jaws. Looking at you, yeah. Pan Am. Yeah. Ah, oh, damn, I might need to do that now. Sorry, Jonathan. Ouch. I might need to do that. Sorry, yeah. Jessica. <laughs> those were those were the ones that came came to mind for me. Also, of all things, Jumanji. I mean, the whole IP is based on a board game, and yet every board game I've played that says Jumanji on has been garbage. Hmm, that'd be fun. There's a it, that's a cool world. Like, we need more. Yeah, like an app based game like Mansions of Madness might be. Actually oh my really god, that would be perfect. That. that would be dope. Especially if you had multiple boards where some of it's like, you know, the video game one and some of it's like the animals in the real world one. And you're, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, an app-based one would be fun. You build maps and try to evade animals and stuff. Interesting. I think there's something there. Yeah, no, there's totally something there. All right, should we move on to our final question? Final question, my friend. Brendan asked, what property shouldn't be a board game? (laughs) Apparently Oregon Trail. (laughs) Man, that's a good question. That was this was this was tougher than the opposite direction. Uh, I've I've got one. It's a, Go it's obvious it. when I say it out loud. Uh, what property should never ever be a board game? The hold on, I'm going to look up the year because I like saying the year because it makes me seem knowledgeable. What property should not be a board game? There should never ever be a board game based off of the 1982 television movie, which itself was based off of the 1981 novel by Rona Jaffe. Mazes and Monsters, starring Tom Hanks. Should never, ever be a board game. Ever. I mean, by that rationale, do we really need an Ishtar board game? Is that your final answer? I don't know what my final answer is. I gotta be honest with you. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not willing to say that any property should not be a board game. Because I think that with the right designer and the right mechanic, you can translate the feel of any property into a board game. I'll give you a good example. If you had told me that you could make a Gears of War board game feel like the video game. And by feel, I mean the shooting, the clunking into cover, the, the the sprinting between pieces of cover and stuff like that. I would have said, no, I don't think that that will translate. Then I played the Gears of War board game, which essentially uses cards and dice for combat. And you know what? It feels like the game, the video game, in, in, in a creepy degree. So... When I look up at my shelf and I see a lot of games that utilize vastly different mechanics, I think that there is a mechanic for every IP, which is not to say that people are always successful in finding it. All right. But game designers are clever and they have made some amazing, amazing games. And I think that some, and I'm very, very specifically thinking of Corey Kaneska and Eric Lang, excel at capturing an IP in gameplay. All right, but can we both agree that making a game that is supposed to get you the feeling of role-playing games are bad and evil and will make you go insane and trying to capture that feel just shouldn't be made because we don't need more more fuel in the fire of, you know, board game versus RPG player wars. Not that that's a thing, but we don't need to start that war. How about that? It was bad enough when it was the magic players versus the RPG players. That was that was not a fun time. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll go with you there. I mean, I guess Birdemic. Do we really need a Birdemic board game? Do you see that the the quarter crew like fixed that movie? Yes, that's why it's in my head. Because <laughs> a couple days ago, and that's why Birdemic has been like floating in my head. Where it's all bald eagles. Out. It's just all bald eagles. <laughs> <laughs> Do we wrong. need a Battlefield Earth board game? I mean, there's another one. <laughs> Good lord, what a what a mess that movie was. Oh, here, I got one for you. The theatrical the theatrical release of Highlander 2. <laughs> that never needs to be a board game. Ever. Ever. And Ishtar. You know what? Oh, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. <laughs> They're just listing bad movies, which sounds like a dare. I've never seen Ishtar. Do you want me to take that dare? You've I've never literally seen never Ishtar? No. Oddly enough, like, it's... <laughs> I don't know how it's going to hold up. I really don't. Like, you know who loves it? Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright really love it. Hmm. And I even seem to think that, like, I think even Martin Scorsese liked it. Well, I'm sorry, Gina. Let's see if they have it at the library. Is the library's been failing me today. It? Hold on, I'm going to see if anybody's streaming it. I mean, like, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Can you believe that? My library doesn't have Ishtar, assuming I spelled it correctly. Of all the things. I mean, it's spelled how it sounds. Ishtar is on Prime for three bucks. <laughs> I'm not paying money for that. No, it's rent. Uh, let's see. It's included with Showtime right now. <laughs> Otherwise, you have to pay for it. I mean, look, I think as an experiment, it's worth three bucks. No. No. You made me pay for Zardoz, you son of a bitch. <laughs> like, I don't want you to forget that. <laughs> you did that on purpose, and so now I feel like Ishtar is your punishment. <laughs> Maybe I'll just sign up for Showtime for a free trial. <laughs> I feel like it doesn't work unless you pay for it. <laughs> then it's not a punishment. Uh, I'm willing to watch Ishtar if you are, but I don't want it to de- derail No Time to Bond. All right, well let's get let's get the No Time to Bond schedule. Why, why why don't we let December happen? Maybe it'll maybe it'll pop onto a service we have. Look, look at it this way: if you were to tell me one day I'm watching Ishtar, I would hop on that bandwagon in a heartbeat. All right, all right. You don't have to convince me. You got to convince Gina. I'm, I'm far more likely to watch something if she's down for it. Gina. Please, let's make the Ishtar happen. This is a social experiment. I mean, legitimately, I don't even remember if it was truly a bad movie. How does my library not have it? Man, my library is 0 for 4 today. I mean, to be fair, we have been in extreme obscurity land. That's true. That's true. But my library likes surprising me. So it has failed to surprise me today. I, I can have one bad day if it keeps if it keeps me you know if it keeps giving me what I want most of the time I'll take it. Yeah, that's fair. All right, I think we're done. Well, there you go. That brings us to the end of our questions, and perhaps brings us to the beginning of our Ishtar retrospective. <laughs> we can only hope. Maybe if we need to pad out, no time to bond. <laughs> we'll just do it then. <laughs> we 
what does this have to do with Bond or anything? Nothing. It just we need to have six more episodes so we can get to No Time to Die. <laughs> We're just buying time. Oh, at this point, it might be like forever, and when that movie comes out, yeah. Unless Warner Brothers wants to send it direct, or no, that's not Warner Brothers. Who is that? Uh, I think it's Universal. No, it's Sony. It's Sony. Are you sure? I thought Universal picked it up. No, Sony owns that license. I think. I am willing to bet money on this because I remember. I remember seeing a preview. I'm like, why is it Universal? They might no have time. the international rights. That might be true. Uh, what is it called? The- yeah, Universal Pictures International is doing it. Okay. Yeah, but I think Sony owns the rights. It says United Artists. Yeah, but Sony owns UA. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, Comcast and Sony bought United Artists for $5 billion in 2005. There you, yeah, okay. And then proceeded to uh, make James Bond good. Ishtar. God, where did that come from? That was out of left field. Close this off, Jonathan. This podcast is going way long. Now I'm really curious about Ishtar. You made me watch Zardoz. I mean, legitimately, I feel like you owe the world one. <laughs> okay. Let me get through No Time to Die first. I might have to take it back early because somebody's waiting for it at the library, so I might not be able to renew it. <laughs> like on purpose? I, I don't know. <laughs> It's a somebody my memories of this film are not fond so i'm genuinely genuinely terrified of this movie it are we watching that for the next one yeah or not no time to die die another day yeah die another day i I know what you meant i know what you meant yeah i was with you there hey it's on hulu it's on no wait that's premium oh no it's on showtime why is die another day on showtime (laughs) do you notice that most of the bond stuff came back to uh amazon lately yeah, yeah, I noticed that. I think Except for was... Die Another Day, according to this, it's all it's only on Showtime. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll change tomorrow. Because, you know, first of the month, all that. That's so weird that it, it would exclude that one movie. Yeah, I know. Well, d- December's a new month, man. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll switch. Oh, yeah, that's really strange. Yeah, it does exclude that. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode 100 ask me anything we hope you've enjoyed listening to our rant and rave about random stuff as always we're just kind of like our whole shtick once again join us on all of our digital domains we'd love to hear from you um primarily what are we using these days face discord more than anything now yeah yeah discord more than anything which leaves us with only one thing robert any final thoughts see this is the part where i usually say something random and something weird based off of something I'm vaguely thinking about, but I just mind dumped all of that in the preceding like two or three hours. So just go back. It's up there somewhere. Just, just go, just go back there or go home. The podcast is over. The gun is good. The penis is evil. Where did that come from? <laughs> Cause now I've got Zardoz in my head. <sighs> the gun shoots death. <laughs> purifies the earth. Jonathan, I'm going to tell this to you because you truly need to do it. Christ, that movie is so goddamn weird. Jonathan, be excellent to party. Say that line, damn it. Just close this out. <laughs> Zardoz! <laughs> <laughs>
See, now you're having a good time. Now, aren't you glad you watched it? No, I'm really not. I'm really not. I feel like it's permanently seeded a lesion within my soul. <laughs> with somebody with bad age makeup on half their face. I mean, now that I'm shaving my head, part of me wants to buy a Zardoz wig and just walk around with it. Yes, do it. Oh, my God. So with that terrifying thought, be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. God, we did it all time. That's that's episode 100, man. (laughs) We're going to go down. (laughs) We beat. All that's left now is Zardoz quotes. happens when we, we let it get to midnight on recording night. <laughs> the music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 